Welcome to Whack or Slaps, where we look back into the annals of late 80s and early 90s experimental jangle pop to determine if an album or a band or this entire musical movement was actually good or just a product of the hype machine of its time. And like all great podcasts, this is the direct spinoff of an unhinged group text that simply refuses to die. Moving right the hell along, let's meet the old pornographers. (laughs) Hey, what's up? I'm Noah, and I'm a disaffected gen xer <laughs> i'm adrian and i'm the grungy producer making all that noise I, nice and i am your feminine energy host caleb <laughs> welcome to episode 15 a very special episode just like on blossom back in the day we're gonna tell noah that he has a drug problem or something. <laughs> no no just kidding whoa, <laughs> whoa. shout out joey uh, lawrence dude, that'd be a sick once we get our money together and we get a soundboard that's got to be on there do you remember the um, um special episode of blossom where i think the they old, were all special they episodes, were right? the one i remember the most the older brother that was the recovering drug addict not joey lawrence but the other one and his girlfriend who was also fresh out of rehab was a kleptomaniac Oh, nice. Double whammy. Nice. I mean, that kind of goes well with uh, this special episode that we're doing because we're actually going way back before, um, you know, Pitchfork was even an apple in the eye of Shribes. And we're going, uh, we're going to do a classic album and an album some say a shitload of people stole from, got their own kleptomania on about it. So, um, yeah, we're going back, back in time. And uh, Noah, why don't you give us a little... We'll preview what we're doing today. So today on Wacker Slaps Classic Edition, <laughs> we're doing My Bloody Valentine's Loveless from 1991, the year yeah, I was yeah. born. <laughs> Not the year you were born. Come or the year off, I was born. Uh, yeah, shaving off quite a few years there. Let me shave just, a little. You just called yourself a disaffected uh, Gen Xer. So how does that yeah. work? <laughs> You know, sometimes your generation is just like a feeling, not yeah, really actually your age. Bro. Oh wait, are you uh, are you one of those uh, arthritic millennials or whatever the hell is going on going around right now? Yeah. One of them, uh, oh, is that a thing where you can uh, you can elderly millennials? Well, All right, elderly. I dig it. He's an, he's the most er- elderly person born in 1991. <laughs> but we're switching it up. We're doing the classic album for 15, and this is like a seminal indie rock album, and pitchfork wait what do you mean by album i watched the movie lovelace the the deep throw biopic oh shit and i watched the movie my bloody valentine oh shit oh which one the The 1981 or the 19 the 3d one oh that's great what was that 2002 or something no that was like 2015 2012 maybe oh wow time yeah shit i guess i gotta pivot but if you guys do want to hear about my opinions about uh robert patrick playing amanda siegfried's uh dad like a new york cop pissed his daughter's doing pinos um (laughs) i guess hit me up on my patreon or something yeah i could never watch that movie because that was like the fall of Lindsay lohan remember she got like fired off of that movie and that was that 
She was oh, that your girl? Remember there was that rumor she was supposed to be in a fucking taxi driver remake? Or did I just like Mandela effect that for myself? <laughs> what? Taxi driver remake? Yeah, there was this rumor going out she was going to be like play Jodie Foster's character in uh, like a taxi driver remake. Well, she wasn't that. Um... She was already like 30 years old. It's too late. <laughs> yeah, no, this would have been right at the time you'd expect that to happen, like 2003 to 2006. You know, just like oh, in the fucking yeah. doldrums of Hollywood. Oh, well, well, who cares about yeah. all that? Um, let's, do, <laughs> let's do hand it over about, to Adrian. So let's talk about some art that matters. Adrian, let's hand it over to Adrian. And what did Pitchfork say? Oh, yeah, happy birthday, Pitchfork 25 years of the most trusted website in music. <laughs> and that is not SpawnCon. We were dead serious, we're just fans. We're yeah, in we no way be affiliated with... with them monetarily or editorially or anything. Well, I mean, in a lot of ways, we wouldn't be here without them. So shout out Pitchfork. But this album, so obviously this was released prior to the uh, launching of the website, which I believe was in something like 1996. But they did give it an... The year a, I was born. <laughs> yeah, indeed. But they did give it a 10.0 when they reviewed it as, when it was reissued back in, I believe, 2011. And it got a best new music or a best new reissue uh, is what they call it when they do the reissues. It was reviewed by our old friend, Mark Richardson. Uh, and the review is, is quite extensive. It talks about because this review is um, about reissues. So it's about uh, Loveless isn't anything. And then they released a, a collection of EPs at, at the same time. So uh, I kind of took a, bits and pieces uh, from some sections of the other view and, and put oh, together nice. what I thought was like a, a nice kind of uh, summation of what uh, my bloody Valentine is, you know, and then this album uh, it's important and their import is a band. Um, but, but here it is. Loveless is all highlights. I've heard many thousands of albums in my life and it's one of the few that strikes me as being essentially perfect. It's also the album that has turned two generations onto the wondrous possibilities of sound as sound. As a band and as an idea, My Bloody Valentine stand for many things. Sonic perfectionism, outsized ambition, excess. But the quality they embody above all is patience. Some bands give you everything you want right when you want it. With My Bloody Valentine, you have to come to them and experience the music on their terms. But the demands they make don't preclude generosity. In fact, they reward your commitment many times over. And I think that's true. I think that, you know, and I, I cut out a little bit here where he talks about how uh, you know, there is this long gap between the, you know, that Loveless and then their next record, uh, how there was long gaps when they first announced the reissues to where it was actually uh, launched. Uh, so and then he also makes a mention of You Made Me Realize, which is this really great long song. But what they do with it is they'll extend this noise section almost indefinitely to the point where you're questioning like, well, when is it going to drop? And then all of a sudden it drops you back into the song and, and it rewards that patience of being, you know, of listening and, and being in that moment with them. And I think, I think Loveless is a lot like that. I think Loveless is a very, it's a record that uh, is very ambitious and it's very unique in its own sound. It kind of exists in its own universe. I mean, there's really no other record that sounds exactly like it you know many have tried as, as you know you I think someone mentioned a little earlier but few have really even touched it and you know i think but i think 
it does reward, you know, coming to coming to them and and giving yourself over to that to the record and giving yourself over to them as a band and just trusting them to kind of take you on this journey, you know, through this record to kind of wrap you up and and you know, uh, and I think it's it's a really good record for stuff for that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, agreed. It's a it's very it's very overwhelming. It's yeah. uh yeah, it's like one of those records you. And from an early age, you hear it, and it's like the idea that music can should it can challenge you and should like test your endurance, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what he was hitting at. It's just like and being able to like break that discomfort and then like really yeah. let it consume you is it's, like really kind of yeah. It's maybe once in a generation, or I don't want to be too profound about it, but you know what I mean. It's like yeah, um, it's a very uh, rarefied air. This album yep. spewing. Yeah, there's a lot of bands too. At the time, I mean, they fall into what was coined shoegaze. I believe it was called uh, late '90s, late '80s, early '90s experimental jangle pop. <laughs> dream, dream pop, as I well, call it. was one of the um, monikers. I also the one that I saw on Wikipedia today is a uh, Birdian rock. Birdian, like yeah, because all those bands sounded like the birds. In a way, uh, you know, I suppose. Sure. Okay, yeah, <laughs> but they're kind of the top dogs. This album sort of is the end all, be all, as far as shoegaze goes. Um, yeah, and at the time, you know, they're linked to bands like Jesus and Mary Chain, uh, Cocteau Twins. Definitely hear the Dinosaur Junior influence on this album, but. For me, there's a layer, like, especially when you first hear it, it sounds so singular and you could feel their ref what they're referencing. But the first time you hear this album, I remember the first time I hear it, heard it, it's very like off putting at first because there's like a layer of like, it's almost like unpleasantness because it's kind of subverting like what you expect guitar music with like hooks and choruses, essentially what you expect it to sound like because everything is so drowned out but it's also very loud so you it takes you a little while to find your footing it kind of reminds me of like a crazy like free jazz album in that way where there's like a lot of pretty parts but at first all the layers taken together there can be some unpleasantness that keeps you a little off kilter like it sounds harsh at times but but it all works to make this one cacophonous kind of pretty sound that i think defined a sound and people have been chasing it and you know they themselves almost like kind of gave up on their band was like yeah that's that's pretty much it for us can't really (laughs) top it yeah i think that's probably why it's endured for so long you know since 1991 why it's just people's constantly wanting to like uncover everything that's actually going on and to like yeah, it really fucking rewires how you're supposed to listen to something. And I think it's like coming to terms with that just takes a really long time. And it's just like really captivating and it like makes you a, yeah, I just want to kind of dig deeper. Definitely. Well, uh, let's dig a little deeper. Speaking of dig deeper. Yeah. Let's let's get our archaeologist out here. So there's, I have a lot of proctologists. (laughs) Yeah. Rock the proctologist. Dig in the depths. Okay, so this one, this record, there's a lot of background. Obviously, it's a monumental record in indie rock. It's a monument, monumental record in in rock music and guitar music. 
so guitar I have a guitar music, guitar rock. But I think that you know it's important. There's a, there's a lot of important moments in this the history of this record. So I'll, I'll touch. I'll try to touch on as much as I can. But um, there's a lot of back background of this. Um, I actually have, uh, if you know the series 33 and a third, the book series, I have a, a book about it and it's quite a tale of, of from front to back. So I would suggest uh, if you are interested in this, reading up on it, because it's, what it's happened kind to, of a wild turn. What happened to the other two thirds of page 34? <laughs> oh, no, it's Wait, Adrian. Are Caleb, you it's talking a... about Naked Gun 33 and a third? I think you're confused. Oh, that, no, I think you movie. No, no, this is. This is okay. Uh, so there's these things called records, and they're <laughs> heard of them. This isn't a like insignificant movie podcast. I thought that's what this was. <laughs> no, that's the other one. That's our other podcast. Uh, it's oh man, what day is it? Podcast. It's Tuesday. Fuck. Wow. <laughs> this, our uh, network man is killing us. All these spinoffs we we're doing it's a lot. <laughs> Try to keep uh, keep it all in track. Um, but anyways, the uh, the record so it was recorded from February 1989 to September 1991. So over two years, about almost two, almost three years. Um, it was produced by Kevin Shields, with the exception of uh, the track "Touched," which was produced by the drummer Calm O Sisig. Yeah, good luck with some of these Sisig. names here, dude. Yeah, I think it's Sis Sisig Sis. Sis, Sis. I don't know. We apologize to all our listeners in Ireland and the north of Ireland. Um, we, yeah, I'm not going to be able to say any of these names. Yeah. Well, I think his is the Linda Butcher is not too hard. Yeah. I think Duke. that's how you say that, but <laughs> it's crazier, dude. But, anyways, that was the only track that was produced by someone else. The band actually went through 19 different studios and like a bunch of engineers while they're during the whole process. So, you know, usually I try to break it down to, to where they recorded it, but this one it was like all over the place. You know, all over London, all over England, basically. But when they when they started recording, the label thought it would be done in five days, which in, in hindsight seems just really ridiculous. I mean, even even knowing uh, knowing their past music, like those records, there's no way that those records were recorded in. You know, I mean, maybe, but. It just like it seems like this band was definitely, you know, you got to give them a little bit of leeway. I mean, maybe, maybe too much, you know, two and a half years is kind of <laughs> overkill. Was that l- label um, Creation Records, Alan McGee? Yeah, I, yep, exactly. So I was oh, about okay. to get to that. Um, so, um, yes, yeah, so it was released by Creation Records on uh, November 4th, 1991. It's their second studio album follow-up to isn't anything which came out in i believe 1988 um but yeah so the recording was this really long arduous process um at various times different engineers would come in and you know touch different songs one engineer that was mentioned was harold bergen who uh, taught the band how to use the computer which i think was probably a huge monumental moment for them even though this record doesn't necessarily sound like electronic fully there are definitely those elements and you know you can kind of hear how it was all put together and paste it together and i think it would have been nearly impossible to do it without a computer um or at least very very difficult probably would have extended it to like five years of recording or whatever um but the majority of the music was recorded by kevin shields um he took on guitar duties as well as bass guitar duties guitar duties (laughs) 
uh the drums were are all basically built from samples recorded by uh Kalmo Sisug, uh who was suffering from uh physical ailments at the time so he couldn't play live uh he eventually got better and was able to play live on a couple of tracks i believe he plays live on only shallow and i think when you sleep but for the most part it was pieced together and produced by shields with you know the revolving door of engineers you know he experimented with a lot of different techniques new guitar equipment you know reverse reverbs uh, all sorts of different kind of sampling and different kinds of uh, effects to, to to get what he wanted and during this whole process they ended up recording two eps uh the glider ep and the tremolo ep both of which are are really excellent and feature songs that would later appear on the on loveless in full um soon and to hears knows when respectively but you know, it goes, I think that just shows that like he was really trying things and experimenting with things. You know, he was working with different, the different engineers to get different sounds that he wanted. But ultimately, there's only a couple that he really trusted. Uh, Alan Mulder being one of them. He, Alan Mulder had worked with a bunch of different artists. I think he had worked with, at the time, he had worked uh, on a number of uh, sort of dream pop records and stuff. So he was pretty well known and, and they, they're one of the few that he, he, they trusted to record and get the sound close to what uh, Shields had in mind. Um, and then another one named uh, Anjali Dutt who replaced Mulder when he left uh, to record some other artists. Uh, and he actually, he stuck with a band, but eventually like all of this, this whole arduous process jumping between studios, you know, Kevin Shields kind of losing his mind at different times and, you know, demanding to, to switch engineers, demanding to switch studios, you know, it all took a toll uh, both, you know, physically, emotionally, and, and monetarily. Um, I think creation record staff, like one of the, the, the number two in command, he had like a nervous breakdown uh, at one point. Anjali Dutt was like, quoted as saying like i just i just want to leave i just want to get out of here i can't take this anymore you know i think this this drove a lot of them crazy and i think it drove the band crazy a little bit there was a lot of different kinds of you know little things like that setbacks like that at one point uh shields and butcher belinda butcher the aforementioned uh singer guitarist she uh she and shields they both got tinnitus uh, so that oh. set them back like a number of weeks. Um, yeah, how could you not during the making of this? Like, yeah, just I mean, blasting fifty guitars every fucking day for two and a half years. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I think there's actually a far less layering of guitars than you think there are. But there, there is certainly that element to it because it does. It feels it's a very thick record, or or I don't know what the right word for it. Thick, but, thick bay. That's with two C's. Cause it's thick, but it's light for, you know what I mean? Like it's, there's a oh, lot it's going on. Thick. It's dream, dream pop, <laughs> dream pop. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then like at another point, the, 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 the label couldn't pay for any more studios. So one of the studios basically held their gear and said like, no, fuck you, you, you know, we're going to keep your guitars and stuff until uh, you're able to pay us. And uh, eventually, I think Kevin Shields like raised the funds on his own because they couldn't. <laughs> at that point, the the label was like fucked, you know, basically. Yeah, How much Al did it cost? Way too much coke to do. That guy was an absolute <laughs> drug maniac. Oh, Al like, McGee, leg- the head legendary. Of, uh, He's like the highest man in Scotland, and then England or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot of, um, and it's, I'm glad you brought that up because there's a lot of like 
hearsay. There's a lot of mythology around it. It was rumored to ultimately cost 250,000 pounds, um, which was the equivalent of 480,000 pounds or $68,000 today. That was more than Ireland's entire GOP in 1991. GDP? GDP. GDP. <laughs> Sorry, GDP in 1991. Um, <laughs> but in reality, I think the both Shields and, and the Creation Records label guys, I think McGee said, uh, or maybe the second command dude said, it's closer to 160 to 180,000 pounds, which, you know, still quite a bit, but, but not double that or whatever, you know, 100,000 more. And yeah, so eventually they they were able to finish it up, you know, the recording and they moved on to the mastering. And of course, when they were mastering the, the old computer they were using, shuffled everything. And, and so then that set them back for like another two weeks. The, you know, the label was like, finally, we get this record. It should take like a day to master and we're going to be good. And then Shields comes back and is like, everything got fucked up. It's going to take a couple of weeks. And they were just like on their knees crying and like begging, like, please just fucking finish this record so that we can put it out. And they did. And <laughs> after that, you know, this whole experience, they creation records is like, fuck you, Kevin Shields. Fuck you, my bloody Valentine. Goodbye. We're done. This ruined us and this ruined our, our label. Um, they didn't they lasted for, I think, like six or seven more years, maybe six more years. Yeah, Did they sign an Oasis at some point? Yeah, I think that's true. I think they did. But yeah, eventually, uh, you know, McGee and, and some of the others claim that that Loveless eventually led to their to their bankruptcy, which, you know, that's probably partially true. It's probably the fucking drugs they were doing. Did more <laughs> but, damage. Also, I think dropping the drugs help. The drugs are an investment. I've been saying this for years. Without the <laughs> drugs, you're not thinking creatively about your art or your business or whatever, and it, or you need the energy. So just yeah, you got to tie that into your cost. You got to have a true cost model. That's what I do. Uh, <laughs> Look at the tech industry. That shit runs on Adderall and whatever energy yeah. drinks. Not doing enough acid, aka micro <laughs> macro dosing. Yeah, micro dosing and Adderall. Micro dose <laughs> Adderall and code, baby. Hey, you want to do better? How about you macro dose? <laughs> Sal McGee but was doing. <laughs> well, uh, so I think that, you know, that definitely, I think what probably had more to do with their, their dissolution is probably dropping the band, you know, because when the record was released, it, it did receive almost universal critical acclaim and it reached number 24 on the, on the UK albums chart, which, you know, is not terrible it, for, for pretty much an, you know, an indie label and an indie record like that. that I think that's pretty good, but it, you know, it is also has been in, in you know in hindsight's been widely cited as one of the greatest albums of all time. You know, it definitely landed on tons of year end lists, tons of decade end lists. Um, it was Pitchfork's original best album of the '90s back in '99 when they first uh, dropped an a '90s list. Uh, but they flipped it with Radiohead's OK Computer uh, in the on the 2003 list, um, so it, be, it went to number two. Um, Wait, but so after all these years. Radiohead is actually just the English My Bloody Valentine. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Shield uh, said oh, by the no, transit computer. <laughs> Kevin Shield said, Oh no, computer, you messed up my album me album. And uh, he's actually yeah. from the United States. I don't think Radiohead he Radiohead said, Okay, computer. Uh no, I think he's he Irish. Said, not okay. I 
think he was born in the states and his uh, family oh. relocated. I think well, his dad might have been an Irish national, but yeah, his he grew blood up. Blood is Irish. He grew up partially <laughs> in New York and uh, Dublin. Oh. oh, that's true. That's right, boy. Um, but yeah, that that's that's. I think we can kind of end it there. That's pretty much the the gist of it. But yeah, obviously they after this record, you know, they they just kind of um, sputtered out. They couldn't they couldn't really follow it up, and they yeah. Totally, pretty sporadic. You, we always ask what what was this band's deal, and in a lot of ways, this album was this man's deal. You know, like that yeah. is like there's like it's like one to one. It's like very singular. Uh, you know, this album defies the band, and the band defies this album. You know, so um, there's not much more else to talk about that because you listen to their earlier stuff, and it's pretty good, but it like definitely owes a lot more to that like dream pop, later called Brit pop, whatever. You know that jangle um, pop. Jangle pop, yeah, all those different things that were really huge at the UK. It wasn't just England, it was Ireland and Scotland had a huge scene. New Zealand. Um, yeah. Yeah, New Zealand. And so it was all this kind of like, you know, the British Commonwealth. Fuck them. But um it was really popular, you know, and um and so I think like shoegaze as a genre. I guess Adrian, you're the historian. Why do they call it shoegaze? Oh, it's because the it, in the in the back in the olden days before uh refrigeration people would eat their no actually i can't i can't go into this bit um it's called shoegaze because uh these bands had a shit ton of pedals and so they would be looking at their shoes trying to figure out what they're going to put on next uh while they're playing as opposed to you know rocking out or whatever oh, yeah okay. and i thought it was when you were like a dirty birdie and you put a mirror on your <laughs> stuck it under someone's dress. Yeah, uh, as seen in, in in a lot of us uh, like uh, what we used to call teen sex com- comedies, but now they should be labeled teen sex assault comedies. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I always heard... thought it was because usually these bands are so pretentious they were navel gazing, but then they're like, "What's lower than my navel is my shoes," so they're even like, "Yeah." I, I also heard there was some NME article about a band i'm blanking on the band name they're not they're yeah. known but they're not the, but the guy was reading lyrics that were taped to the floor of the stage and playing his guitar so yeah like, well i've heard it's a pejorative because it was also like and kind of what people said about grunge later it's like oh these bands don't even try they just like stare at their shoes and like yeah. their fans do too you know there's no exactly. like they're not rocking out but um what i was gonna say is that so like all i think that was like the natural progression, you know, from all that stuff that was like really popular that kind of like, you know, kind of it's art pop kind of outsider pop music. Uh, Shoe guys was just like the natural, like kind of arc of all that stuff because you know, all these bands were definitely interested in, you know, bands like the birds, like we were saying earlier, but also just like psychedelia and all these like kind of more textural, harder, kind of more heavier musics. And they just layered all that on top. And then, it kind of did spin out of control, but it definitely got r- w- way more entrenched in that sound. And um, yeah, just focused a lot more on just like the sonic mass of it and, you know, the studio elements and things like that. So um, yeah, it was really, you know, if you look back, it's like a really interesting time in music, like creation records and 4AD and those, those labels were pretty big for a lot of these different types of music, but a lot, a lot of them did pretty well, you know. Death Row like, Records was popping in '91, <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about all labels. I'm Ruthless just talking about... Records is still going strong. <laughs> Roadrunner, shout out Roadrunner Records. Um, 
yeah, but it was, it's, it's just really interesting. You look back at in you know the UK at that time, and it was like yeah, this album being like twenty, like number twenty four on the whatever hits or twenty four yeah on the yeah. UK chart on yeah, on the charts. Um, and it's just crazy though. A lot of these bands got signed, and but they make pretty music. It's like pretty out there, you know. I must have been dope to hear like, like Cocteau Twins and this Mortal Coil and stuff like back on like you know radio and be heavily covered in the press and stuff. So. It's yeah, a, it's well, interesting think, this band came out of that, but um, yeah, well, but then England, also kind of killed it in a lot of ways too. Like, I don't know, there was a, there wasn't a lot to go from there, you know. So, yeah, I, I was just gonna say I think that England is a lot more open to bands like this in terms of like ha- making them popular. I think probably just because of the the size of the, the country and the way the music industry works over there. You know, I think that they're much more open to to more mm, outside or outsider music or maybe not outsider music. That's a little too far, but um, stuff that's, you know, left of the dial as they used yeah. to say. Yeah. Left of the dial. But then also like, co- like conversely, a lot of those bands are interested in making pop music too, mm-hmm. you know, right. but doing it through like grittier kind of more punk influence means, but also like definitely, you know, very focusing on melody and hooks and, you know, different kinds of more um, kind of introspective energy too, and I think it, it kind of relates to this like the character of somebody from the British Isles or the UK or this kind of like downtrodden, grayish, ashen kind of personality and stuff, which is like I think an affectation, but it actually like makes these bands more popular because you know a lot of the world, but especially the UK, people are pretty obsessed with their identities based around their, you know nationalities and like all the cultural trappings of that and shit so i think that that might explain to why um you know kind of like how country music is huge here because it's like very brazen about oh it's some the american thing or whatever so right i don't know i'm not a musical <laughs> ethnologist but yeah i just think it's interesting that all what all these came out of and i'll get yeah. into more of you know my uh, current reactions too because you know i've been exposed to more of that older um british stuff now these days and to hear it through that lens is i think really interesting yeah yeah so should we uh should we get into it then yeah let's talk about our own personal lenses who'd like to kick it off uh i mean i can go sure yeah so this record has been hugely important in in, for me in my life as a music listener as a musician as as someone interested in, in art I it's a little embarrassing to admit now, or maybe not. Maybe I can just own it. But I think I came to this band through the Smashing Pumpkins. I th- uh, I, I know that Billy Corgan would name drop them as an influence on his guitar sound. That uh, will come up later on my end as well. So, Let's just say, spoiler alert, Smashing Pumpkins owe this band millions of dollars. <laughs> I don't think that uh, Bill, old Billy would disagree. Old yeah. pumpkin because he's himself. such a he's he's a he's a good guy though. Billy Billy Corgan. Oh, I he might aged wanna, um, so well. You might want to um, look into that. Uh, maybe best, read his uh, his cover story in Cat yeah. Fancy magazine. The best Billy Corgan hit he ever had was when he knocked out the dude from the Used. That's his legacy. It's <laughs> uh, like the only thing you need to know. Oh, he's pretty on Infowars. The bunch of times he's been invited on that show. Yeah, he's buddy buddy with old uh, Alex Jones over there. Um, no, that's that's, but, not, that's pretty cool. <laughs> 
but you know back in the day i i really loved uh siamese dream i love that guitar sound i think you know i've been i've listened to it recently and that album actually still rips uh but you know i was really inspired by that and so i was i was looking at like okay back then i would look at you know i would find a band and then i would look and see okay who are they name dropping who are they inspired by and my bloody valentine was one that came up with pumpkins it came up with dinosaur jr it came up with a bunch of other bands that i was listening to so i was Can like I ask a, right. just a, a quick question because I've, yeah. I've been thinking about this how did you like do that tracing because you know you, you watch old like music documentaries especially like around punk and hardcore and stuff and metal they're like well they would do like the thanks list and stuff yeah and i think that was done to a certain extent like in liner notes when we were kids but to know like who the band was shouting out or like what it into was i don't know it's a little different now you could just like look it up and it's like just yeah. scroll through last fm and wikipedia and all these things but yeah i'm just i was just curious about you know how how we did that in the 2000s yeah. that's a good that's that's a good that's actually brings up a good point i think back then it was mostly magazines at least for me mm-hmm. it was guitar mags it was spin Max, magazine um, stuff stuff <laughs> um i actually i did subscribe to those magazines and on occasion they did have some pretty good reviews but uh spin um, slam this one Spin did slam this one at, when it came out, but l- years later, obviously, they came around and and saw it as for what it is, which is uh, yeah, I you think know, it's like classic. their number twenty all time album or something when they did one of those lists. That sounds about right. Losers. But another resource that I would always use back in the day is All Music, or back then it was All oh, Music yeah. Guide. Yeah, you know, shout out still AMG. Use that. Yeah, me too. But that was great because it would have you know the 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 reviews which were always really good you know well maybe not always but for the most part they were really good and then you know that would lead to you know their in it would kind of break down like oh these are kind of who their influences are this is what they sound similar to and you can kind of trace it through there and then also word of mouth was another thing too i think just hearing from bands from you guys i love that magazine word of mouth (laughs) Uh, shout out (laughs) wom But yeah, so like, you know, I, I I had heard about this band. I was interested in this band. I think I had downloaded a few tracks, but interestingly enough, I don't think I had heard really any Loveless tracks. So I, I remember definitely I heard Strawberry Wine. I remember I listened to some, maybe a couple of things off Isn't Anything, and I was intrigued, but it wasn't until I got this record that I really, really fell in love with this band. And it was another Best Buy trip when I went to go get this record. Uh, I think it was, I believe it was like eighth grade. I, I was trying to remember if it was like eighth grade or seventh or eighth or maybe freshman year, but I think eighth grade is probably right. And I had it, it at the Best been, Buy. Yeah. It must have been like Christmas or maybe my birthday because I had like $120, $150. And Ooh, I was like, I got to go get as many CDs as possible. Um, so I think at that, in that little run, I think I got like 10 CDs, you know, I remember this one was one that I definitely like specifically went to Best Buy to get. And then there was a few other things. I think I got like, uh, actually I think I got melancholy and the infinite sadness. I think I may have got double um, disc. That'll set the the double album. Yeah. That was like a 31. So that was a big chunk right there. What's what's the deal with that one? It has two titles. It's like, Oh, from first, like from like, it's like from Night. twilight to dusk and from dusk to twilight yeah. or something like that i tried to listen to the other day and it was it's 36 songs or something yeah it's a long and i said fun. no fucking thanks 
there's like five bangers and then the rest is kind of uh yeah well it's not a terrible it has the hit right the tonight tonight it has like three hits it has that it has a bowl with butterfly wings yeah he's he's got that i got a pants voice a little bit (laughs) yeah for sure vocals rat in a cage is like that's all you need (laughs) rat in a cage yeah it's their best one (laughs) best video best one shout Um, out zero classic shirt (laughs) shout out that episode of the simpsons uh, where they're on oh Um, yeah classic episode Along with the, another favorite song. Say depressing youth is like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> I heard that shit. I was like, mood. <laughs> so yeah, like I got I, I bought all those records and, and I brought them home. And I remember this was the first one I put on. This uh, this was like immediately I was like, I gotta listen to this. I think I smoked a little weed, put it in my disc man, you know, which is how we listened to shit back then. And uh, and uh, I, I laid down on my bed and, uh, you know, I had my curtains Classic, drawn. Dude. It was kind of dark, you know, and I just was wrapped up in this record from the And from that, you know, because it, it starts off with a with a bang, like really, it really does. And so from that first drum hit all the way to like the last kind of like fade out of soon, I was just enthralled. And, you know, from that moment on, it has basically been one of my all time favorite records, you know, at at times I would say it's probably is my favorite record. I don't know. Now it's probably fluctuates more, but it's, you know, it's been one of those constants in my, in my musical life. You know, I, I became really, I really loved it. I was an evangelist for it. I would burn it for all, all you guys, all my friends, um, which is funny. Cause like, I think a, a few years back, um, actually, I think Jamaica was like, I, I never, I never liked them. I always said I, I liked them, but I never liked them. And I was like, damn, what? <laughs> wow. What? But you know, respect. Uh, hey, she's no. being honest. Um, she probably she doesn't like them now. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, wow. You know, I but, think it's uh, one of those things where it's like, um, can we use the word tribalistic these days? Mm. Where it's like. I think when you're like a little kid, you like you latch onto those bands, you know, and you're like, fucking Nirvana's my band, or fucking whatever, no effects is my band. And then it's like, and it's hard to like take on new bands. And then like, you know, like you said, you're an you're a, um and you know an evangelist for it. And I think there's a certain thing when you hear albums really early on, you know, either they that year becomes your band, it's so intrinsically tied to your personality and your whole outlook, and you're like culture that you like move around in and um if it never hooks you you know like it hooked other people then yeah it can you know it's not gonna have that it's gonna be diminishing returns and maybe you're gonna fully get into it totally and you know i I can see that for sure and like as as i said like i i burned it for her i burned it i think for few of you guys but it was really was one of those things where i'm like i i need everyone to listen to this band this band is fucking amazing this record is fucking amazing and, you know, it it was always one of those things that, you know, uh, I was sort of always chasing. So I was always chasing kind of the guitar tones. I was always chasing like the songs, songwriting, the sounds, um, you know, with my own guitar bands. I was never good enough to play like this or or layer things like this or even come up with things like this. So that that was something that, you know, uh, I maybe never hit those those heights, but I definitely bought equipment. You know, I tried to play like the the glide guitar style and 
you know, even, you know, I'll get to it more in my mind, you know, what I'm thinking now, but even now I'm still influenced by that guitar sound, you know, I just bought, well, I'll keep it for, for later on, but, um, but you know, it's, uh, you know, whenever it's reissued, I tend to buy it. Like, you know, right now I'm, I'm like, Oh, I should probably get those new reissues. Um, (laughs) but yeah, this is where it all started for me is back, back in that moment, sitting here in my room and, and blasting it in my headphones and just, you know, it, 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 it was a sound, it was one of the sounds of my high school years, like, you know, and throughout. So it's a very important record to me, but yeah, I'll let you guys, uh, kind of, uh, go on go ahead now yeah i think i'll go next because you definitely like previewed how i got into it and it was it was purely through you like um you know even though i had older brothers who would have been into this sort of thing i remember like us being in eighth grade and kind of like you would hear about music very generally so like we're like oh punk and then we'd fill in the blanks of like what (laughs) punk meant and i remember at some point you were like you're like, there's this other kind of music called shoegaze. And I was like, what the fuck? That's not what you call it, like a music. So it was, I don't know, I had this like <laughs> really evocative title because you're like, you can name music after that or whatever. You don't know what it is. <laughs> and then you're like, yeah, my buddy Valentine's like the band from it. And I was like, oh, that's a cool. That sounds cool. And then whenever you got it, like you were saying, you probably burned it for me right away or how we like exchange burn CDs and stuff. And like, you know, you were definitely more into like a... a kind of the more out there, you know, kind of more alt indie stuff. And I would kind of just have like the heavier kind of like punk rock. And that was kind of the exchange um, that was going on. So I remember that, like getting one of the, getting that record from you. And um, yeah, just like when you, when you listen to it for the first time, like it's like Noah saying, it sounds fucking off kilter and warped, you know, like that was my initial reaction of it. Cause you had talked all about it. It's like, it was crazy. They use all these guitars and it's super loud and all fucked up and drugged out and all this. And I was like, sweet. But then like the first time I heard it, I was like, there sounds like there's something wrong with this CD or something like you like, <laughs> yeah, you can't yeah. like you can, which I very well could have been. Cause those like verbatims or whatever CDRs back in the day where, you know, they'd get warped pretty easily, but I don't think that was the case. I was just like, my untrained ear was just like, it was just like too much. It was too cacophonous. It was too layered. And I don't even know. And it just sounded fucked up, but I knew there was like the kernel inside of there that was just like, no, there's something like deeper and more profound or just something that's a little more commanding than the music I was listening to. So that like draws you in because it's like, it wants you to like get in there and find all those little bits of melodies and find all those hooks and find all the different like vocal layers and try to like hear some lyrics here and there. Cause you just hear like the emotional contours of everything the first few times, you know, and you like, you know, there's just like a foundation that is different from the delivery of just all the noise and, all the manipulation and things and then um so that was like super you know provocative at an early age and um it also kind of hit and then you start to love it and then i of course i started to love it after you know a number of listens and yeah it just became part of that like stable of you know records you listen to when you're a freshman in high school and you're just trying to figure out what your deal is musically you know that was definitely my buddy Valentine. I was gonna say it's a, probably the one I probably would have tuned to when I wanted to get the weirdest. You know, it wasn't like my go-to. It wasn't like your my songs for the deaf or like the relationship of command or whatever else I would have been 
other shitty know, albums bleach <laughs> well, no or whatever i was like i was jamming on um but when i did like go to listen to it i was definitely like getting into it because it hit this sweet spot of like the heavy guitar thing that we were really into with like you know grunge and punk and whatnot but mostly grunge but then had little mixes and references towards kind of something that was a little more I don't know, melancholy, but also kind of saccharine, you know, like um, going back to like the dream pop. And but it also it's like it's tied to like the British goth thing, too. You know, you can definitely hear bands like the bands I call the bands like the Cure, the Smiths, the Church, the, the Echo Joy and the Bunnymen, the Joy Divisions, <laughs> <laughs> the so, yeah, Velvet Underground, the Velvet Undergrounds. Yeah. So you like there's all these bands that are like, you know, you listen to this album, I was like. 14 15 and everything i relate to is like heavy guitar music and punk so like all those bands are adjacent to punk in a way or kind of came out of that um so yeah you hear that under all those layers too so it's just not just like this walloping guitar thing you heard like something kind of sad and longing but also like delivered with a good amount of romance you know and a good amount of um otherworldliness i guess and um yeah i don't know it's there's something deep down between that it's like it's really relatable because when you're that age, like you cannot really articulate what your feelings are. You can just kind of, you, you just feel them and you live in them and you don't really have the language for it yet. And an album like this, like gives you the language and it's okay for something to be kind of not figured out and formless. And like a lot of like being, that's what being young kind of feels like, you know, it's just like yeah. this amorphous mix of emotions and ideas and everything and like so to hear that um that like overwhelming at that time was like oh uh, pretty profound and then um but like based on those like 10 15 albums that i was really into and i was like this one probably has the most legs like th- this like carried me well into my 30s basically where it's like you always come back to it you got nothing bad to say about it you know it's just like yeah you love all the things of it and then you continue to listen more and then like and you start to hear all this different stuff, but then you start to like relate to it. Like you might listen to it when you're first and you're like, Oh, you like the aggressiveness of it, the heaviness of it. But then you get a little bit older and you're like more into psychedelic music. You're like, Oh, I love how fucking trippy this album is. Or like you get more into like, you know, sample based music, hip hop or, you know, techno or whatever. And then you hear that like fucking Kevin Shields is all into the bomb squad and shit. And then you're like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You can definitely hear like, you don't hear hip hop, but you hear an appreciation for it in there. And so then like, yeah, there's I don't know, some because, old school program drums on here. Like, yeah, like totally. Eric B beats or something. Yeah. yeah. 100%. And then, so like I said, as, as you progress along in your own musical trajectories, I, this album's a really good one to come back to because it has so much to offer in terms of influences how like the influence it was working with and then how it influenced music back yeah it's just a really really interesting artifact and yeah i, I really enjoy it and the one question i did have though at one point when we were trying to start bands as a little kids agent was loomer yeah. one of the choices oh yeah i think you're right i think i think, I I think you came to us with that at one yeah point. i'm pretty sure i i'm sure i did <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think you guys did have a band called loomer but we didn't so i but i i feel like back then i think it was maybe we just surrounded ourselves around shit talkers or maybe it wasn't cool they're like you can't name a band after something that like isn't another band so like you can't you can name a band after like a lyric but you can't name a band after a song title there's all these fucking rules wasn't yeah. that radiohead's deal aren't they named after like a talking head song yeah radiohead well i mean it's a two they they 
joined it together to make it one word but yeah radiohead is a and it's a you know one not one of their better songs which is makes it interesting (laughs) um the but boris another you know another great band named after a song uh you know there's plenty yeah there's plenty of know that i think the people mouse like after like a genesis song or some shit no i think modest mouse is from uh literature i believe that's from uh oh okay computer pro or what's that all the uh, the hitchhiker shit guide to the galaxy or something is it from that oh no i i forget what what book it's from but uh it, it was like a sentence that was like they were modest mouse like people and they liked the the modest mouse part so they took yeah, that it's a shame we'll never have a reason to do a modest mouse episode so. <laughs> yeah they, they don't let's fit get it out of this let's get all. out of our system now yeah but what <laughs> i was trying to say is a lot of bands do it and um you can name band whatever you want um anyone tells you there's rules based on it just being a dick you should have called it boomer and then your album could have been called okay, 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 boomer. Boomer. Okay, boomer. <laughs> <laughs> we would have been ahead of our time yep way ahead I know. What about you? What's uh, your background with this? Yeah, I'd never heard of this before. So I was like, what the fuck is this shit? It's all (laughs) noisy and like all weird. Can't hear the lyrics. Like, wow. Couldn't tell if I needed to turn it up louder or turn it down. (laughs) I couldn't tell. It was hard to listen to. Physically taxing on my ears. No, that's what I would have told you when I was like, I don't know, sophomore in high school. The first time I heard this album, where it was very like confusing to me. I definitely didn't hear it as a kid, like back in 91, 92. Because it was weird. My brother and my two older brothers, they were into grunge and punk rock. And so, like, I heard a lot of, like, Soundgarden and stuff like that. But I don't know if they ever got yeah, bit never, by the British bug. Maybe Oasis the was the craziest they got. But uh, Oasis was Oasis such a huge was, band. No, they, they, they were never no made it. Ac- they never made it across the pond. I think. Yeah, but I other think than what you like, mean, like Sex Pistols, or it would have it would just been would have been out of place for like early, yeah, '90s Santa Maria shit. Domestic um, only for them, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it was like, Budweiser. They listened to like oh, Sex Pistols and shit. Yeah, like sure. That. Oh, that's I mean that's like the canon. You kind of have to yeah. listen to them, The Clash, yeah. and whatever. Think, yeah the clash for sure i think joy division would have popped up which probably would have led them to my bloody valentine but um so eventually i got this burn i don't know if it's from you adrian or i it was like raiding my brother's zachary's like case logic he had like one of those like 250 container case logic cd cases um and i would just pick a random album out of there from time to time and it, it it never really hit me all that hard like when I was real young in high school or anything. And then, though, I believe when I was a freshman at UC Santa Cruz, I remember getting way into this album. And it was also just getting into shoegaze as a genre because I was also in, into um, Jesus and Mary Chain, Cocteau Twins, Um and I have to say, this sounds kind of basic, but what about like, slow dive? <laughs> yeah, I like slow dive. Take it easy. <laughs> I remember I went to uh, Amoeba one time with uh, my dad, and he would like he'd be like pick out a CD, I'll buy it for you. And I bought uh, Slow Dive. You get the Slovakia? Or no, no, no. I bought Ride. On oh, Slow Ride. But kind of. Almost. I always get them confused. Very similar. Very similar, similar vibes. Slow similar ride. 
Yeah. So <laughs> right. The tour. I should have got slow dive too. Yeah. I, I but, would um, that. But this is gonna sound kind of basic. So I was listening to my bloody Valentine Boba a lot. Basic bitch alert. In the dorm I think, room. I think you mean chuggy. That's the new one. Oh, you're not supposed to say basic anymore? No, now it's chuggy. Basic is because we're chug- wait, isn't chuggy like the credence thing? Keep on chugging, chugging. Uh, yeah, Chuggy. That's what the new. That's what the the kids are. I read a New York Times article about it about what the kids are doing these days. Um, but yeah, Chuggy is the new basic, I guess. That's stupid. That gives me a really <laughs> good idea. Yeah. That is that we need we need to well, find. We just a go zoomer. back to stupid. We need to find basic. a zoomer. This is an open call. This is an open call to zoomers. We just need somebody to just like be on the show with us. You don't have to be an active part. You just need to correct us on stuff and be like our generational consultant. Yeah, you can TikTok or whatever. All the time. And I bet you're, yeah, totally. But I bet you'll find a super fucking annoying, but I think it might be a good, good dynamic. <laughs> we'll show you that all millennials aren't that, you know, we ain't all that bad. Anyway, oh, really? sorry to sidetrack you. Uh... of me back in the day. Um, so I would have, I had this, I remember my roommate, basically, he like, in the dorm rooms, you were all in the same network, so you could see everybody's iTunes or whatever. Right. And so the first like week of school, he like burnt or ripped like fucking days and days worth of music onto his computer. So it was a lot of stuff that was like, oh, I know this, but I need to get into it. And Loveless was one of like the first ones I started listening to. And I had heard it back in the day, but it never hit me that hard. But then it was like a uh, confluence of two things where this album and then I went to go see the movie and this is the chugly part of the story I went to go see Lost in Translation <laughs> oh which, yeah with this album is all over there like it has the sometime song like Bill Murray's rubbing his eyes looking out the limo at Tokyo and Scarlett right. Johansson's ass on the bed all that stuff <laughs> the sheer pink panties but anyways i was into this album and then i went to go see that movie and that movie's a very kind of shoegazy vibe and i also happened to see the movie with like the crush that i had at the time oh i remember we went and got like sushi a goyle we went and got like sushi afterwards and this album grown up evening dude indie flick sushi (laughs) i know i was probably spent every dime that yeah. i had but that's like when you're 19 <laughs> or whatever that's your idea of being like fucking cultured and like yeah yeah I think it works I, paid, I think i paid for the ticket i did a it was probably not a, a very smooth move but i was like i'll buy the, the movie tickets you get the sushi which not a fair trade <laughs> yeah that, probably should have reversed that but yeah. all right hey i was a feminist all right that was part of the reason why I never really I like sushi, but it's not like my one of my top tier foods like it is for Dude. a lot of people. Because I remember that's how kids we were growing up with who like that was how they're like if you showed people you were cultured out there, you would eat sushi. You'd sushi. be like, Oh, it's I'm I'm into interesting foods like sushi or whatever. And I was just either I was cynical or I was broke and I was like, Oh well, yeah, oh, let's get kind of like else. a rich like I was just trying to save kid. myself from uh, embarrassment. In Santa Maria, at least, it's kind of like a rich kid, like the rich girls in high school would be like sushi night, and they'd be like, yeah. "Whoa!" But it was a way to show yourself you're you're a little bit more elevated as a yeah, you know, exactly as a chug as a chugler. You're sophisticated. 
So yeah. I saw that movie Lost in Translation, which Kevin Shields does the music for, and it's got like uh, Jesus and Mary Chain on there and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And it has newer bands. And also in like 2003, when I was away at school, 2003, 2004, that's when like there was kind of a new wave of shoegaze bands. Like Interpol was getting called shoegaze. It was uh, called New Gaze. Yeah, New Gaze, whatever. And you, Gaze. And um, Umlaut. Well, there's some other bands at that time that were falling into that category a little bit. There, and then it gave way to the chill wave shit, which yeah. I think that all all can be traced back to this album, My Bloody Valentine's Loveless. It could be traced back to Cocteau Twins, like Heaven in Las Vegas, and it could be traced back to like Psycho Candy. Basically, I'd say that's like the holy yeah. trinity. But you know what's really Definitely. interesting, Noah? You, and you're saying how, like, the Lost in Translation, Kevin Chills did the soundtrack. You, If you listen to Loveless now, you can hear, like, Japanese music in it. So there's, like, you know, there's, like, yeah, the I, 80s, I right. like, Japanese, like, city pop is, like, one of, like, a genre. Well, Caleb, have yeah. you ever but heard? it all sounded kind of to our, maybe to our Western ears, that it had a off-kill, it had a warpedness to it. Well, it, it <laughs> kind of has that, have you ever heard, like, that, that soundtrack now i'm gonna blank on the composer's name but for like the movie with david bowie like merry christmas mr lawrence mm-hmm. i can't remember that guy's name the, the composer maybe somebody could look that up but it's the japanese composer japanese composer but he uses like kind of like a big guitar sound it's like very 80s like uh synth kind of pop yeah. sound but mm-hmm. yeah it did kind of remind me of that too caleb but anyways i was gonna say i went saw the fucking movie lost in translation and i went and like this album loveless it's kind of like a makeout album but you gotta really be on the same frequency <laughs> as the other person because it's, it's horny a, it's for sure it's horny. but it's not an album you could just you can't just be like making out and be like hey you want to put some music on and then put this on no can you imagine somebody Unless putting this like on it? and then trying to make out with you and you're like whoa yeah. whoa what the fuck's going on right now <laughs> it'd be, it'd be yeah. distracting <laughs> but if you're like, can both, you please put on something else it'd be well, distracting but if yeah. you both like the album and you're coming out of seeing like lost in translation eating sushi then yeah. it is kind of like oh okay that's this, like is the, a, this is this is where this night was going. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, totally. so it was a good payoff. That's like a memory. But you're right. You got to so. hit that. You got to hit that shot correctly. Right. But um, this album stayed with me ever since I was like 19. I listened to it. I mean, I'll go like a year without listening to it. But when I do dive into it, I'll listen to it like several times in like a week. It's great. Like if I'm like walking home from a bar or something. Maybe they got a little buzz going in the cold of the night. Throw this on the headphones. You know, it's a good, uh, it's good walking around at night music. And it's, yeah, yeah I'll get into current reaction, how I listen to it's it. It's kind of a, also an underrated, like, driving album. Yeah. It works really car well another, car. You got to be in the car with, like, another person to keep you active. But, like, if you have to do, like, a night drive for whatever reason, like, you can put this on, smoke a bowl, and then drink coffee at night. It's kind of that vibe. Yeah. But anyways, that was my memories with it. Definitely a touchstone for me being like 19, 20. And it's always always stayed with me. It always like kind of brings me back to like a younger kind of feeling. It has like a ecstaticism to it, mm. but like a sadness as well. Like you were saying, Caleb, kind of melancholy. But then there is like a weird romance to it. 
It sounds like uh, that we each couldn't love this album any less. <laughs> yes, indeed. And with that, we need to take a break to smoke bowls and drink coffee at night. Um, or whatever, whatever you want to do. I'm going to go make out with my wife. Yeah. We're gonna, wife corner. Use your breaks however you see like, fit. boner. <laughs> nice. Keep that in for the old wife. <laughs> Anyway, we'll be back shortly with with our current reactions. You know what I just thought about? It's funny how I say we'll be right back. We don't go to anything. Like there's no commercials or other segments or anything. She goes right back into the the sound. Yeah, Yeah, but I make it sound like we'll be right back with you. It's like it's like immediate. Um, On the break, I did confirm with the wife, Kiki, that uh, yes, this is indeed a makeout album. She agrees. So. <laughs> Wife, wifey's boner. I know what I'm doing after this recording. Oh boy, Man, well, it, is nice getting, get the it is getting blue. Yeah, no, you know that's appropriate. That's like on my uh, notes later. Is this album has like a feminine energy? Um, oh yeah, to it that's really dope, and that I feel like a lot of music of this time had, especially over there. So yeah, not, not completely out of place. It has like um, I've been listening to a lot of Sade recently. Hell yeah, dude. Of course. I think, she's yeah. the best. I Good luck like, ever trying to buy a Sade record. Those things sell out fucking immediately. I, I just got like the greatest hits the other yeah, day. Yeah, that's the best you can do most it's of great. the time. Um, it's fantastic. Top to bottom, solid. And it kind of has, well, I mean, it's like the king of makeout music. So it, <laughs> I, I think it is of a piece with this album. It's like a good listen to some Sade and then listen to some My Bloody Valentine. That's like a good night. Yeah, I think some of the rhythm <laughs> choices they make on this kind of have like a swankiness to them that wouldn't be yeah, totally out there's of a place. Swingy, on, like, some, like, there's a, some Clyde Storm type shit. For all the punishing kind of heavy guitar, there's a swing to the bass and drums that I think really has a... It's it's weird to say that there's a lightness to this album because the whole thing is just like this wall of sound, but it's not hard. It's it's more like a hedge of sound or something. Yeah, it's a little like uh, it's it's boner inducing, as you would yeah. say. Well, yeah. speaking of boners, uh, who wants to talk about how they feel about the album now? Um, I can just go into my currents. Why the yeah. fuck not? Um, it's an album that I've listened to I don't know a hundred times probably like all the way through. Uh, And when I sat down today, though, it was the first time in a long time that I listened to it on my stereo system. And I felt kind of bad because like I could, my apartment mates were still there in their apartment buildings. And I just kept wanting to turn it up. I think I turned it up a (laughs) notch after every song. So by the time it plays like soon, it was like so loud. But it's like you Does can't. Does the Irish guy still live downstairs? Ah, oh, damn! I wish he did. He could have heard. Uh, he would have really appreciated it. My landlord is Irish. He could have came by. He'd be like, "I knew Kevin." They're probably about the same age. <laughs> My countryman. Yeah, but um, great Irish accents, guys. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh... <laughs> you guys are really killing. Them. That was more Take Paul McCartney than anything. Is that Take Braveheart burping? <laughs> you gotta take your loveless and piss on it. You're pissed on it. Yeah, my landlord, my Irish landlord came by and he's like, nah, nah. It's like, not this one, mate. <laughs> but I listened to, and what's remarkable about this album is, yes, it works so well as a whole complete 
album it's like a master class and sequencing everything goes everything all the songs blend together but then there are like end of like every individual song there's so many kind of like almost like pop sounding like just the individual songs are so well made and constructed and it, it it's a, there's a catchiness to each song and it's just like every time i listen to this i'm like oh this is my favorite song and then it's like the next song plays and it's like no this one's my favorite one you know it's like i go yeah it's like it just it hits like song after song there's really nothing tossed off here um no even touched which would seem like to be the tossed off one is not tossed off it's very much of a piece for the rest of it yeah sounds great for tossing tossing it off i just don't think i don't think it's aged a day really and partly i think it's because there was so many bands for years like i mean what is this this album's 20 years old 30 years old i mean 30 uh, your age jesus christ (laughs) yeah you Uh, don't know your own age huh interesting over the last 30 years like i feel like every 10 years there's always these crops of bands that are like these are the loveless devotees like the young kids who even for even no that's so funny you said even like because i was just thinking i put it in my notes too it what do you call those chuglin bands or whatever chuggy even like the most chuggy uh (laughs) indie rock they're almost like at least at a live setting they have to play guitar like this it has to just be this like massive kind of wall sound thing i mean i mean they eq it differently and it sounds more but it also has to have like a it has to have this bombasticness to it that and it this almost album has to like have a that's why I say mainstream. That's why I say the drums kind of swing and the bass kind of swing because there's a almost like a danciness to it, kind of. But I mean, it's never. It always keeps you at bay because it's never one thing. It's such a melting kind of. It's like amorphous. I don't know. Yeah, totally. It's warped. Um, oh, oh one shifting. thing I. Sh- yeah shifting it's and one fluid. thing i should say as well it's mercurial mercurial yeah one thing i should say as well that i didn't mention in my in my history i was also just like a gigantic velvet underground fan and i still am and I'm, and they're very much you could i like you could see my bloody valentine was influenced by their kind of sister ray version of like the uh phil specter wall of sound you know it's like a wall of sound totally by way of like New York junkies, by way of romantic, <laughs> yeah. um, they're probably jamming on pop. a good amount of like Spaceman Three too, because that's like Spaceman yeah. Three is basically right. like that gr- live out, in the basement Velvet Underground, out, yeah, washed out garage rock, um, yeah. But also, I wanted to say I forgot to say in my history when I was in high school when I first heard Loveless, I also got my hands on a copy of uh, Metal Machine Music by lou reed and that's like just purely harsh uh reverb kind of washed out guitar and it's very spiky and it's it's all just it's like what my bloody valentine kind of builds their songs on but with that lou reed album it's just purely noise and so i always listeners aren't familiar that album is one guitar note played through four amps facing each other yeah but it also has a prettiness if you kind of but there's no other to. yeah totally but there's no other manipulation to it too so there's like yeah. this because there's no intentionality behind it other than yeah 
the playing of that one i guess the way that they set up the production and the recording of it but yeah. still there's like this i don't know it's weird but yeah, i was just, just like today machine, listening to this album i was reminded how important it was for my musical taste going forward to embrace noise in music and so i always appreciate when bands or groups or you know jazz musicians can really take noise and make it something pleasant i always like respect that in music i think it's a very hard thing to do but caleb <laughs> metal machine music can you tell that kind of joke that you did on your friend when he texted you do you know what I'm, do you remember what i'm talking about when he wanted some musical recommendations because yeah he texted you right he's like hey i'm really getting into lou reed what should i listen to next and then you. oh yeah and i was like metal machine music <laughs> oh boy yeah I that was a funny little joke you played on yeah that's that also the charlie? one that's similar to no it wasn't charlie charlie's <laughs> more advanced than that i don't know who it was but yeah that was a good one it was something like that that was almost similar to the joke i did on uh shout out pat listener pat was he's like can you recommend a horror movie so i was like yeah you should watch begotten um you guys ever seen begotten oh. i never seen it but... oh man it's like uh basically <laughs> it's this like guy went on to direct like more mainstream movies but it's basically this like elemental horror movie that's like an allegory for like the birth and the death of christ but it's all shot in like the most high contrast black and white and it looks like a rorschach test but like it's a movie but i guess it's a narrative movie and uh this is whole path to watch that once and then he was like why the fuck did you tell me to watch that movie so weird i was like did you finish it he's like yeah i did and i was like i haven't even been able to finish it ever like good on you I so, yeah. back in the day Give now it's friends, kind of like challenging uh challenging recommendations okay yeah. i used to do that back in the day now it's kind of like i mean it was always a famous art house movie but it's kind of well known now it's kind of like a punchline type movie but when people would say like what's a good like european art house movie to watch i'd always be like oh solo 120 days of sodom yeah totally pasolini film you gotta, gotta yeah. check that out now yeah. that movie's kind of that movie's kind of chuggy these days, but has QAnon picked up on the uh, Pasolini yet? It seems like they'd have a. Few Don't give him any that. ideas. Yeah, it seems like this is proof that the this is the urge. But that movie's an allegory told right wing fascism. The only yeah, true they fascism. They see it as like liberal. Uh, right, access. right. They see it just as the elites, not that it's actually like fascism, drawing a direct yeah. line to far right Italian fascism. But anyway, somebody yeah. else go. Let's move this along. Okay, I can go, and then we'll uh, start, you know, cap it off with Adrian. I think that's appropriate. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I listened to this album quite a bit. Uh, maybe not the whole album the whole way through, but it it comes up a lot. And like you were saying, there's a lot of bands that sound like this now, or at least in their approach, you know, that are Deer relatively Hunter, our old friends. Yeah, like Deer Hunter. There's like that band Nothing. There's like Elizabeth Color Will. There's all these bands that are just kind of taking the heavy guitar you know down tuned thing and just make but underneath it's like you know really sweet you know pop music and rock and stuff so um this album never really falls out of relevance for me or at least me wanting to listen to it and um so i'm relatively familiar with it even now and um yeah i was just like caught off by obviously the mass of all sound and just all the trippiness of it and just like just the i don't know just how the the pure cacophony of it but in these past uh, you know couple listens i've definitely been had more of an ear for the like um the jangliness of it and the pop parts of it and just all the 
the arrangements of the, I guess, the more straightforward stuff that's underneath it all. You know, the stuff that's more, I don't know, rock based and um, yeah, it's just it's just like super melodic and all like the vocal turns on it and the layering of the vocals and like how they kind of do the harmonies and everything. Like I really, this time around, I was so much more stoked on that than I was just like, you know, the, the gnarly guitars and stuff. So yeah, that was cool to hear it for that. And I think that has a lot to do with like getting more into like the creation in four ADs kind of stuff um, where like you kind of, it's like, it's okay to listen to like music. That's, you know, sweet and, um, you know, melodic, but also, you know, has a certain amount of darkness to it. Um, so, yeah, I kind of heard it through that lens this particular time. I guess you don't hear it through a lens, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Ear lens. Ooh, that's a good podcast network. We still writing those down? Ear lens? Yeah. I thought it was all things indie. That was us. No, I think we had several, We're but we can, have, we, we can have imprints. Keeping it indie. Yeah. Keeping it indie. LTD. Yeah, LTD sounds as pending. Yeah, but um, yeah, I still found it incredibly enveloping and captivating and relatable too, with like all the emotional weight of it that's on this album. Just hearing all the sweet, sweet pop hooks, that's cool. But I also it was like you know, I never really realized this album had rhythm, but of course it did. It has drums and bass and stuff on it. But I guess when you're younger, you just hear the the wash of guitars, but. I found underneath, yeah, there was like kind of just like a swanky post-punk kind of element to it. Stuff that was a little more like driving and, you know, good. But then on top of that, the counterbalance of just just really, I don't know, heavy textures and kind of alien sounds and how it makes like this third sound, you know? It's like this theory that you have like the way you play the guitar and then the sound and then there's like the relationship between all the different sounds clashing it makes another sound that's unintentional or makes a sound that's like more happenstance you know and i feel like this album's full of that and i think that's what gives it its just overall weirdness and warpness yeah and then yeah and then you just these days when you, when i listen to it i just appreciate in general the use of samples and noise and using production as an instrument and how you select your tones and how you like select your idiosyncratic way of playing um, so I really appreciate it for like on that um, level this time around. And um, yeah, it's just, it's still absolute classic. It just, it just holds up in every way. Um, it's just so lush and yeah, just, it really just takes you in and, and it brings back, it has this nostalgic quality to it too. It just brings you back to all the times you listen to it and you can tell that they're nostalgic for, I don't know, love lost or youth or whatever, the velvet underground or whatever. So like, yeah, I think it's a. Uh, it still really, really holds up, and um, I'm just glad to hear that bands are still trying to sound like that. They not, they not, they may not able, not ever able to hit the level of creativeness and um, making a singular piece that the, the my bloody Valentine was able to do. But yeah, it's just interesting. I don't think this band is going to fall out of popularity, at least for me, for for a very long time. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, what about you, Adrian? How do you feel about it? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, it, it this record never really has left the rotation for me. Um, I don't think there's been any period of my life where I didn't listen to this record at some, you know, some interval. Uh, but listening to it now, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, when you listen to it, 
over and over again, a lot of the nuances kind of, it's easy for the nuances to get lost if you're, you've been listening to it a bunch. Um, but to come back to it and kind of have it, you know, specifically to kind of dissect it a bit for this was nice because then I could kind of think about like, okay, what's going on with the production? What's going on with the layering? You know, Noah, you mentioned that there's a bunch of guitar layers on here, but uh, actually like, I hate to be, but actually, but Kevin Shields has always said like, you know, there's less on, there's less guitar tracks on this than your average demo, which is kind of crazy that he's able to create this gigantic sound with, you know, three or three to three layers or whatever, or five layers. So how do you make it sound so the, massive just through noise and well, through and yeah, reason? production, just through the, through the way that it's produced the product, like the way he's stacking things, the way he's um, tweaking things. I think their whole record was also produced in mono sound. Yeah. So that adds definitely adds an element to it. Um, yeah. I think, I, I mean, I agree that it sounds like, Almost like you're listening to it or like, what's the best way to say it? I guess it's like from the first moment on from that first guitar hit, it kind of envelops you in like a, like a loose bubble or something like it's, it wraps you up and then it kind of just holds you there and it make pushes you through different, you know, different kind of woozy tones and different kind of uh noise um it feels yeah, like, like it, yeah you're covered in a texture not dissimilar to like cough syrup <laughs> kind of sounds like that a little bit it's definitely yeah. druggy it's definitely got that vibe to it it's a good um, lean album yeah <laughs> for sure uh but like you know a lot of the the sound and stuff have been really inspirational to me over the years. A lot of the the things that I've been interested in lately, getting back into guitar, you know, I've definitely been influenced by this. I bought a Jazz Master, uh, not because of Kevin Shields. It's always been one, you know, a, a guitar that I like. I like how it looks and sounds. But uh, I would be lying if I didn't if he didn't, you know, have at least a little bit of influence on that. Was There's it more actually his influence or Nels Klein influence or Jay Mascus. Yeah, it's probably a split between Jay and uh, uh, and Kevin Shields, I think. Did Kevin Shields produce some of their last album? Oh, maybe. I know that they're I know they're buddies, but you know, I I bought guitar. I've been getting back into guitar pedal, so I bought a pedal that specifically has a reverse reverb, so I could get some of these kind of uh, he calls it the glide guitar. You know, the kind of woozy in and out of tune sound with the kind of the tremolo arm, you know, going and stuff. It's uh, so he's been, you know, this band's been really, truly in, uh, influential on me and like listening to it now, coming back to it as kind of more uh, a scholarly approach, let's say it's been very interesting to see like how, you know, how certain textures rub up against each other, as you guys are saying, how, as you you're, you were mentioning, Caleb, uh, you know, how, how the different layers stack up, how the vocals stack up. I think the vocals probably are more layered than the guitars, honestly. I think that there are at some point, there's probably like 20 layers of vocals where it's just, but it's, you know, so buried in the mix, it's, it becomes a, a kind of a, a, just another sound element. And, and, you know, that was definitely something that they specifically sought out. And that's something that on these listens was really apparent to me is like, wow, they really did just kind of bury this to a point where like you kind of half hearing the lyrics, you know, it's more about the feeling of the lyrics than the actual like 
you know, what the lyrics are. I think even if you ask them, they could probably, they would probably be like, yeah, we don't really, or at least back then they probably would have been like, yeah, we're not, I'm not sure exactly what we're singing on there, but you know, uh, yeah. did you guys ever care to even like find out exactly what the lyrics are? I think you'll over no, time, because you can I kind think of get the Adrian vibe, but yeah. had told me that urban legend that oh, they kind of just mumbled some of them or whatever, and I just thought that was the coolest yeah. thing. I was like, Yeah, it's cool to just like I always like mishearing uh, lyrics anyway. Yeah, totally. Well, you put your own yeah. meaning into it, yeah, no matter what. You make your own song kind of right. But right. to do that, just like the way you enunciate or don't enunciate something where it's like you're kind of just feigning a word, I think that's like cooler than like yeah. some mysterious turn of phrase or something that's like you know poetic. You know, that's like I don't know, it has like a sub poetic quality yeah, to it for sure. Dope. They're just an element of the human voice that, that gets you. I mean, that's why cocktail twins are so good. And, you know, there are times when she's just going off and she's not vocalizing yeah. words. Or the, or the prog rock magma. They made up their own language. Oh, right. Or, you know, Cigaros or any number of bands that have done this where they, they're relying on more of the feeling of the, the sound of it than the actual whatever they're saying. Or like you know, when you watch uh, Avatar and they speak Navi. Or like every young rapper under the age of 25 that does like a singing intro to their songs or just like whatever drug sounds. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Mumble it's for not, it, baby. It's not necessarily important for you to get the, you know, exactly what they're saying. It's important to get the sound and the, the, the emotion from the sound. Yeah, it's like an Altman movie. <laughs> There's a lot like of things their, going on. This is like their McCabe and Mrs. Miller. <laughs> Um, is Altman part of the uh, MCU? <laughs> oh, I would love to see what to have seen of uh, an Altman yeah. take on the MCU. A, it was like, I am Altman. He has the power of zooming in <laughs> and uh, confusing people. It's like, oh, who's talking to me right now? Overlapping dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> it's disorienting um, you. <laughs> Sorry, we're disorienting you, Adrian. No, it's all good. I mean, I was kind of uh, getting wrapping up a little bit because. Honestly, like this, this record still means a lot to me. It's still, you know, it still has a lot of power. It still has, you know, I, I, as you said, Noah, it hasn't really missed a day in terms of its sound just because it's so unique and so of so specific to them, specific to Kevin Shield, specific to that moment for them that it's become kind of this, you know, evergreen thing. But, um, but yeah, it's been, you know, it's been influential throughout my life. I think now maybe even more than before I'm, I'm obsessed with the sounds of it. And, you know, I don't think that's ever going to change. I think this is going to be one of the ones that I listen to forever. It just, it has that, it has that, I have that connection to it. It has that power to it. And, you know, there's just so much, there's so much of it in my, yes, as you said, Caleb or, or, or maybe Noah said it, but you, there's so much of it in my personality, in my musical taste that I can't really detach it. Like, you know, it's, it's, they were so important to me and, you know, and I having been able to like now experience them, you know, as they've come back together, getting a new record, like, you know, and then now this year they're, they've announced that they're reissuing, which probably means that they'll be touring soon again. You know, I'm, I'm really happy and stoked that, that they're still, that they're still around, that this record is still up there as one of the pinnacles of indie rock, that I hope there's still Zoomers and kids out there listening to it. I think there are, because as you guys are mentioning, there's plenty of young bands that are copping kind of the shoegaze sound, the layered guitars, you know. It's just, 
it's an all-time classic record and it lives inside my heart in my brain and it always will and i think that i think that for me that sums it up really yeah you guys remember the whole lo-fi craze of like the late 2010s like slip early 2010 like breeze records and shit yeah like times new viking all that shit yes i wonder if any of that course shit yep yeah that's what I was trying to figure out the what other day. Was that band like all always? Yeah, always. Oh, two always. Yeah. yeah. I wonder yeah. if any of that still holds up. Yeah, it does. That's that's fun Waves to with two V's. <laughs> all no, the two, I don't think that holds up. All the two V's. That guy's uh, quit music to focus on being a landlord in LA. Which <laughs> no, he's know, back. He just cool pivot. Them. They just, they just yeah. Them. Still, uh, no respect to to landlords of any sort. Yeah. <laughs> Best parasites. What was that like? Converse shoes. They're sponsored by Converse shoes band, Best Coast. Oh, Best Coast, yeah. yeah. Dumb Dumb Girls, all that shit. You ask girls. Vivian girls, all the girls, ghost girls. Eat, well, this I think that skull. This, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think that um I think that as you guys were talking about I mentioned this this really this really was kind of the perfection of mixing the noise and the pop. Like, you know, yeah. there's the, and there's this is the, a hi-fi version of like velvet undergrounds, lo-fi kind of sound. Yeah. Totally. It's very, the production's very pristine. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Well, speaking of which, should we, uh, yeah, let's take another pause. I got to grab something to drink and yeah, let's talk slapping and whacking. We come yeah. Back. yeah let's go into our slappers um i could go first i bet we we share some uh we share some highlights right yeah. oh i'm sure yeah i think we have to yeah um yeah i'll just uh i'll jump into the fray here so i have as my first slapper is when you sleep there yes it's hit. kind of a kind of a chuggy kind of a chuggy pick but <laughs> I, million, I don't know 11 million on uh Spotify. i'm i am reminded of why this song and this album is so good every time it comes on it kind of surprised me because like i know like the first couple songs of the album like really well because i've just listened so many times and just like that iconic like first riff the one two know? punch is fantastic yeah it's fantastic so then but then this album kind of comes a little bit or this song comes a little bit later and then you're just like oh damn they're going for it they're like just using the crushing guitars, but then they have like the sweet female and male, you know, masculine, feminine, like vocal harmonies and everything. And that works really well. And there's the whole energy of the song is just like, I don't know, just really beautiful. And, but driving, it has a, has a momentum to it that might, that isn't always present on this album. I don't think it's el- this album ever gets dull or bogged down or anything, but that, like this song has just a lightness to it yeah, in a way that it moves it forward. forward. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but underneath it all, like there's just something off kilter and kind of spoiled, you know, uh, I don't know. Hmm. But I think it it adds a nice counterbalance to just the yeah. um, the poppiness it's, of it and the yeah, it's uh, it's the spoiled, of it. but yet it's sweet. It's like the homegirl's nail polish in that movie American Hustle. Do you remember that scene with the I don't think that movie's ever been talked about since <laughs> 2015 or whatever. <laughs> With the uh, what's her name? about Emperor wears no clothes. Jesus, Amy Adams. No, the other one. Oh, uh, J-Law? uh yeah, J- Jennifer J- Lawrence. There's J-Law? that scene yeah. where she 
He's like, smell my nail polish. It smells like flowers, but it's rotten too. <laughs> there you I go. Know, I like I like that movie. The only person to ever reference that scene anywhere. Yeah. Jeremy Renner's pretty good in it, actually. I, I give Renner. <laughs> He's great. Yeah. Yeah. Where's my, where's the Renaissance? The rent dude, that's not coming. That guy fucking uh basically like John Cusacked himself. Oh, no, he's got he's got the Hawkeye show on the way. He's oh, playing. that's true. Never mind. No, but he does all that weird like the like he does commercials and he has like a weird dad band. Well, he's like oh, a he weird... also had an app for a minute too. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Of. So he... he like tried to diversify in like a weird way. So <laughs> yeah, he kind of just so like... even before that guy, he was like a he, struggling he, actor. He caged himself. He was like a struggling actor, but he like invested well even before he got famous. So he he's like one of those landlord dudes. He owns like a bunch of properties and shit. And he's like, oh shit, yeah, he's like a little yeah. business man. Yeah. Shout out Modesto. Um, speaking <laughs> of never probably ever one of our been great pockmarked actors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus this song is actually kind of pockmarked there you go dude yeah it's like it's Bill beautiful style, but they're baby. just some uh yeah there's some blemish to it so <laughs> let's see let's let's hear a little of when you sleep um did you ever go to that club blemish no nah, it sounds dope though in, in frisco dude is popping yeah dude <laughs> shout out the clubs um yeah let's hear a little slice of this uh i i like just the opening kind of crescendo I think that really encapsulates everything that's dope about this song. So we can start there. All right. Here it is from the top. Yeah, I've always loved that transition into the verse where it just yeah heavy, you know, that heavy chord. Yeah. Is that just a fucked up sounding guitar? Is that like an organ? Like vamping on something? It's it's a keyboard, I believe. Yeah. Which on these subsequent listens, I, I realize that there's a shit ton of keyboard here. In, and it sounds, I mean, there are times where it could be a keyboard or a guitar, but I think it's a lot of keyboard, keyboard. if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. And, and then seeing them seeing them live i think I've, they also they bring out the keyboard so it's pretty clear but but yeah i think and especially the way that those two things are layered like that keyboard it's kind of like an odd element but it just works so well like throughout the song yeah it's catchy um, as hell yeah this is our most straightforward because i think the lyrics are most clear so it's yeah why, it's mm -hmm. probably why it's like the number one song on spotify Totally. And when you ever see them live, like the crowd will like sing along to this song. Like people oh, yeah. lose their shit. Crowd I mean, loses their shit at this. I yeah. mean, I lose I lose my shit when I hear it when I saw them live. Yeah, I mean, I it, it is shit. It is straightforward, but if <laughs> you like hear this song, like the guitars and all, like the periphery and just like there's just something like kind of eroding at the end of it too. You know, like it's not like yeah. nothing's but like things at the edges. Yeah, and it's like, and it's yeah, it just kind of has like this sense of decay, yeah, which is you know kind of a motif throughout the album sonically. But like this song, like you can really hear it in this song because like yeah, they're they're driving towards something a little more accessible. But um, I don't know, there's something weighing it down, and like I don't know, it creates creates tension. 
that I think yeah. is very is very needed in, in 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 music, especially music that's pop centric. You know, I think like all the good like arty pop or all the stuff that kind of transcends just like shit you hear on the radio or I guess these days Hulu or whatever. Yeah, there has to be a sense of like kind of I don't know something more fucked up, some menace, some decay, yeah, yeah. more darker energies. It's You're working with all those dark forces. Yeah, <laughs> gotta put some stank on it. Yeah, what about on. you guys? What are what are your slaps? Well, before we move on, I just want to play a little bit of the outro because I've always loved this outro. So I'll just all just the outros quick. are killer. They yeah, we, we should just make a outros. Intros get all the love, but outros are I don't know better. But this really? album, we should just collect all the outros and make like a little mashup of the outros. Oh yeah, we got a, a record label because it's Harvey all Scissor sounds man. Harvey Caesar sounds. <laughs> Cause it's all the the outros are all kind of on this Eno like ambient mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, and I think if you just collected all the outros, you could make like ambient record number five or whatever. <laughs> all out ambient know. five. Yeah. So here's a little bit of that outro. Uh... Yeah. And then it goes right into the next track. It's like Twinkie. the the transitions on this record are are spot on. Like, I mean, two and a half years and, you know, several nervous breakdowns later, I think it was worth it, frankly, <laughs> to get it sounding so perfect and everything aligned so well. Um, but yeah, go ahead. And Noah, you got a you got a slapper? Yeah, let's do let's just kick it off with the first track only shallow which was their single off the album i believe i think it's the only single from the album if i'm not mistaken yeah i think it's just one of the all-time classic openers the drum sound i was really focused on the drum and bass on this listen totally yeah me too yeah the rhythm you can i think you can and i think it's by design you can just get kind of worked up in just the the washed out guitar sound and kind of craning your ear to hear the lyrics and the pop dynamics but you like sometimes you miss like oh shit this guy's like really laying it down on the drums and the bass is also like what's the woman that plays bass uh debbie goog yeah she's tearing it up on bass on this album so she's actually not playing on this album it's it's all shields but um but she definitely you know when live she She would if she could though yeah, well she like, i think sit in the corner <laughs> well it, from what i read yeah, she fun. she would come in like everyone would come in and but eventually they realized like oh uh, we it's gonna take way too long for him to explain what he wants so we'll just let him go um and then yeah but yeah she's 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 a great bit they're, they're a great rhythm section like i think underrated rhythm section totally underrated yeah definitely but yeah should, should we just hear this from the from that iconic top, intro because it's like yeah, one of the best the, the little drum machine hit too Whew. yeah this is actually one of the ones with live drumming surprisingly yeah, really one. it straight up sounds like a drum machine like that's what i was gonna say it showcases how good he is at drums yeah yeah Damn. i mean maybe they 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 chopped it up a bit but um as far as i know this was this was a live drum track and it sounds spot on when he plays it live so sick
I really love that one of the most iconic guitar albums of all time starts with such an iconic drum introduction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Before yeah, that, but just meeting the, guitar. That riff is just seismic, you know? It's like, it's just like this, this shifting mass. Like, it's... Yeah, and yeah. then it gets louder. It has that loud, quiet, loud dynamic. Yeah. Which is weird because this album always sounds loud, but then it also always sounds quiet. Like, <laughs> it's like a... Yeah, tension, baby. But it's, yeah. it's the, I think even in the maybe in the review or something I was reading, someone said it's the quietest loud record that you've ever heard. Yeah, exactly. And it makes sense. That's why everyone went fucking nuts making this album because they were just had they had all these conflicting ideas of what they went sound with it and just had to just dig at it more and more to like yeah. create this this kind of unspoken sound. And Adrian, there's probably going to be a theme on our slappers, but. Could you play like the outro? I don't know, the last like 20 seconds or something, because it also has a great outro. Yes, here is a little of that. Like a band could just put this outro out for an entire album and that would be their sound, you know, like. You yeah. heard explosions in the sky? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a million post-rock albums later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah, um, it's just fantastic. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned that because that, that specific sound right there, that kind of ethereal, heavy. Wishy-washy. Yeah. Wishy-washy sound. That's the sound that I've been chasing for 20 fucking years, you know? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I did also have Loomer the second song as a slapper i don't know if you want to i don't want to mean to skip you adrian but no no i think we might as well do it back to back because i think it's one of the best i'm always fascinated i think all classic albums have a great one-two punch so i've always like for years me and my brother zachary on spotify we had the one-two punch uh playlist where you would just nice go back and forth playing the first and second song on albums i think most great albums have the first two songs are like bangers that go into one another. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I mean this one, two punch, it kind of, in a way they both kind of sum up what the rest of the record was. Cause only shallow is, is very much more of a pop kind of straight, straightforward rock song in a way, even though there's a lot of, you know, weirdness, the, the woozy guitars, the, the glide guitar he's doing, um, but then Loomer is kind of more of an atmospheric thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's it's a little bass, yeah, little passage. But it still has the sweetness to it, the popness to it. Yeah. So yeah, I think this is it's an absolutely great front to you know, one two punch, and it, it just sets up the rest of the record so beautifully. So here's a little bit of Loomer. That's probably my favorite riff on the whole album, that guitar riff. Cause it sounds it's like it's about to like like the tape is about to like burn yeah. up and like not finish the <laughs> totally. song. Like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it, as you mentioned, Caleb, it, it's all it's like a lot of these things feel on the edge of disintegration, like yeah. totally. 
Yeah, just such a great track. And I also love the way that they bring in acoustic guitar on this record. I think this is a good example here yeah. of the interplay between the the kind of the glide guitar, the in and out of uh, yeah. tune heaviness, and then the kind of um, the consistency of the, the, the acoustic being strummed. And again, it's not like the acoustic isn't like your traditional acoustic guitar. It's much more like incorporate into the sound of it to, to the point where it just becomes like a, this kind of like uh you know um what's the word um like you know it's a wall that holds up the the rest of the uh the the buttress. song the buttress yeah or the uh you know yeah the the support wall it it, it the rest of the song rock. is kind of it's the bedrock it's the bedrock the rest of the song kind of flows you know over it and it is just yeah it's a killer track Yep, but killer. I I had that one as an honorable mention, but um, as an absolute banger, uh, there's a couple that we haven't mentioned, and one of them I will save for later because I think we disagree on it. Interestingly enough, but "Come It Alone" is one track that I always really loved, and it's one yeah. it's, it's a track that weirdly enough I always forget is on this record, or not forget, but when it pops, when and where it pops up. It's just such a nice like oh yeah, yeah. this song yeah it's kind of a yeah it's a sleeper and plus it it's like a reminds you of high school you know you're coming alone yeah Adrian <laughs> <laughs> that's funny Caleb um, Adrian it's no matter how many times I listen to this album there's always two or three songs where I'm like oh yeah this one's good too where it's totally. like you forget they're like the, oh, oh yeah like factor is so huge on classic albums too yeah. it's like there's always I mean, like three to four songs that like you, they're always you know they're always yeah. there but and it like, speaks to the album having a a, a unified sound lovely right it speaks to the album having a unified sound right so you you look at it as a whole rather than the parts of it but this album it's like song after song where it's like oh this is like a completely good song if they only made this song it would still stand the test of time you know divorce from the album so totally um Shit, yeah. but here is a little bit of come in alone getting some nice chunky bass in there too fucking so yeah. good i have in my notes adrian i put that sounds like cheryl crow live from the k-hole <laughs> nice dude <laughs> cheryl wow. crow on ketamine that <laughs> was cool about cheryl crow is uh she was friends with a communist i always thought that was dope Ooh. she also dated cheryl Kid Rock, crow. though so my friend the communist <laughs> it's like where does she meet a communist somewhere in la that's pretty dope you know isn't she's she open in santa monica uh, of course isn't she yeah. married to what's his name bicycle boy no she's hasn't been with him for like 15 points yeah that his name you what need to his start his, his name is bicycle boy yes Lance armstrong yeah <laughs> what was those bracelets what would lance armstrong do what were they live strong baby live strong baby oh boy that takes you back <laughs> He yeah, I love covered by Michael Jackson. Just want to put that out there. <laughs> I love the uh, weird. 
I love the vocals on that song too. They have that um that dream pop vibe, you know, not you know, kind of around your like dead can dance or you know, a lot of those English bands of that era. Yeah, it's kind of spooky, but yeah, uh, romantic at the same time. I don't know. Actually, in my notes, I had a little bit, a little section where I call out because uh, some of the vocal layering. Let me play just a little bit of that so we get a taste of that. So that might be a little hard to hear over the connection, but there's the male and the female voice, the Shields and and Butcher. And what's interesting, it's you can't hear it on this song, but on some songs, the higher part is sung by Shields, which is which you wouldn't wouldn't think. And then Belinda Butcher takes kind of the lower register, but it's always really works. And the interplay of their voices, it just it's really beautiful and really romantic yeah. at times. And you know, I think this one had like many more vocal layers than just you know one yeah. male female, but it yeah it always satisfies. They're great at harmonizing on this album, and it sounds yeah. like a very slowed down, druggy version of like you know the Ronettes or something. Like yeah, that. <laughs> totally. It's, it's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> it is a sexy album. It's a horny record, but not like horny, like, you know. Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys. Hashtag breathy vocal alert. No, probably the most. The album. The most. But I think they so embrace the breath that it transcend any any negative connotation of breathy vocals. Breathing is important. They own it. Doing it right now. Yeah, it is their sound like and it had been their sound even before this. So it's like, yeah. This is yeah. the this is the pinnacle of bre- breathy vocal. Yeah, sure. but yeah. it was definitely a staple of you know that that late eighties, early nineties stuff too. I mean, a lot of bands kind of oh yeah know, probably yeah. had an influence from English folk and stuff yeah. like that, where there's kind of I don't know had a mysterious, almost a cult kind of. It's breathy. Lilt. It's like they're singing like underwater or something. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you guys were saying you know so, that yeah. that it was. If it was felt light, but still kind of, you know, I think I said it was thick but light, and and I think that's, you know, that helps it kind of, you know, that helps the, that helps that really helps sell the pop elements of it and the and the kind of the more romantic elements yeah. of it. Well, where it's, it's like, the push pull of it. It's yes, like the guitars exactly. are are weighing that stuff down, but then simultaneously the vocals are pulling the the guitars up. So right, it's like always in flux. Yes, it's always exactly. Shifting. Yeah. There's an ever, you know, a lightness and an effervescence to it that that is, you know, surrounded by this kind of uh, you know, almost like womb like kind of thing. And it's it's just it's a great yeah, as you said, it's a great yeah. push pull. Yeah. It's like the sixty nine of things. <laughs> uh <laughs> Okay, um, I'll, let's go into a track that I think we all have on here. Um, yeah. We all have sometimes as a slapper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. This is the um, Lost in Translation, Bill Murray riding through Tokyo song. Yes, yeah. yes. And this is the song I also wrote. My first note on this song is the Smashing Pumpkins owe these fools all their money. <laughs> they made their whole, made this song their whole shit. 
like that 1979 song kind of yeah and then a bunch of other songs what but, year um, was that song though 79 that, earlier that was 96 yeah oh, couldn't okay. even get the fucking year right fucking <laughs> so they yeah they took from this yeah oh i mean there's definitely some tracks on uh siamese dream that yeah well i was this. i was reading up on uh spanish Green pumpkins and i was reading like when their albums like their earlier albums came out ever nobody really liked them even though like you listen to them now they're like no they're iconic man all these bands called their bluff they're like no you're ripping off all these bands and, you, and like they could hear that their sound was too eclectic to the point where like I don't know. They had like a bad faith argument about them. Like a bunch of bands like Steve Albini of the nineties. Oh, like a bunch of people called their bluff, like Steve Albini. And there was like, no, you guys are just kind of fucking genre hopping and shit just to see what sticks. And like, we totally see what you're doing. (laughs) You can say it as many times as you want. I guess it'll become true eventually. But anyways, enough about SP. Deer Hunter. (laughs) Uh, All right. Yeah. I don't know. This is another song too, where it's just like the lead-offs on all these fucking songs are just like yeah, and it has that uh, when they hit hard, they guitar, hit hard, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll, okay, I'll just uh, play this from the top. Here is sometimes. This is when you move out for the move in for the makeup. <laughs> But this is also like when you're moving out. You have like your box and you're like, I guess this is li- yeah. goodbye. It's a first date song and yeah. the breakup song. Yeah. I mean, I guess oh, they wow. all are, right? They all are. <laughs> yeah. That's like true. I said, that, it's the push and pull. It's the all things at once. It's the yin and the yang. Yeah. yeah. I, this Something track is all. great. And I think one of the, the nice and interesting things about it is that there's no, this one, they, they drop out the drums and the, and the bass, or at least mm-hmm. it's very very subtle kind of pulsing thing underneath it and it's just yeah the the guitar again the the sort of guitar where it's thick but still has some clarity to it it just yeah. sounds so good i love the the acoustic guitars too like yeah. if you their earlier stuff they used a ton of acoustic guitars because they're like more influenced by you know like folk and stuff um psychedelia but um yeah the way that it's just like those big thick acoustic guitars and then just the odd uh, like the electric stuff and the distorted they're so brittle they're they're just like they're constantly just crumbling you know and like yeah should we hear like the middle of it because it gets a little like jammed out for a second i think yeah it gets jangly yeah here's here's a little bit from uh right in the middle here it might sound very similar to what we heard before but let's see getting some of those nice background vocals and uh, yeah, cool layers, organ. yeah, the, the, the organs back in. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then there's, I had, I did mark off a little bit of this outro again, because I think it's really cool, but uh, here's a little bit of that.
kind of pulsing there. Nice. Yeah, fucking gorgeous. Great outros. It's outros. Outros everywhere. Yeah, so th- I mean, that's what I had. I mean, Noah or Adrian, I mean, we could, you know, go as deep into this as we need to. I mean, this album's... You know, uh, album like this only comes along once in a... There's one song, my favorite song on the album, my ultimate slapper is the song number four to hear knows when oh, I nice. think that's the best song in a lot of ways it might be the strangest it's like one of the strangest pop songs ever made i think because <laughs> it has like a twinkly guitar but the rhythm's all fucking weird like to me so i said of this song i said it's like a pure mood cd that got like melted in your cd player <laughs> like a. It's like Enya on a speedball. <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty accurate. It's got it's got this kind of weird. Yeah, there's there's a weird. I, I don't even know how to describe it. So maybe we should just listen to it. But you guys ever done DXM? <laughs> DMT. Oh, you, you like know I DMT have. Song. I've heard it. Uh, I heard it might sound like doing a chorus scene in triple C's. I don't know. I've heard allegedly. I also there's like this from a of... freshman in high school once. There's a kind of like chanting kind of vocal background. It's like hard to hear if you, but you got to really lean in. But it reminded me of like the guy, uh, Gregory Legitti, like the dude that does like oh, the Legetti, Legetti, the dude that does like the 2001 Space Odyssey soundtrack. The kind of like, uh, like that cacophonous like chanting the dissonance voices. kind of thing. Yeah. Like that album he came out with in the 90s called Too Legitti to Quitty. <laughs> <laughs> Too legit. <laughs> yeah, so here's a little bit of to hear knows when. Just love that like buzzing sound. Yeah, it has a cool through. bounce to it rhythmically. Yeah, all these songs are probably gonna sound like shit via our podcast, but whatever. Yeah, just make you go. Trust, trust us, fans. The they sound good. Go seek out the album. We'll put in proper. the we'll put in the notes <laughs> all the time markings of the songs we listen to, so you can put it's it on like, vinyl. What it just Keep sounds like up can, and down. They're freaking out over this album. It sounds like you can barely hear anything. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> trust us uh, you don't have to yeah. get it you're not supposed to get it in fact if i don't you, want you to get it <laughs> this is for us only um but if yeah. you it's fubu baby it, um but luckily for us uh i mean this record's always been you know has been uh, streaming for a while but they just dropped kind of a lot of their discography on um on Spotify and, and other streaming services. So it's a good time to jump in. And I really, yeah, I do suggest listening to this on your own time with, if you can, some good headphones or just in headphones. Uh, it's really worth it when you do that. Cause yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be translating too well through our, you know, filtered through our, our, our little thing here, but. Yeah. Uh, and make sure you clean the red time release off of it <laughs> under the sink. You got to do it when they're white. You, you want to eat at least six. Oh boy! Yeah, you, uh, you have anything? Any other thoughts on that? Uh, that song? No, it's uh, it's it's dope, and it's like Noah said, it is a very odd song, and it yeah, 
yeah it has yeah it's i don't know it has an alien quality to it i really dig yeah i like it a lot adrian what's a slapper you got slap one on us so this one this one might be a good one to kind of transition a little bit to more towards the dud side because uh, i know you have it as a dud noah but soon uh has well, always been I. see so soon has always been a track that i really loved I think Brian Eno famously said that it is the vaguest music ever to become a hit about soon specifically. And I think that's accurate. It is a very a what music to become a hit? Vaguest. Like oh Vegas. Oh, oh yeah. like Vegas, like Las Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> no, like Heaven or Las Vegas. Uh, no, it's like Vegas, like V-A-G-U-E, like very uh, vague. Um, which it it definitely has that sound. I mean, it's it's also almost the most straightforward dance track of the album because it yeah. actually has that kind of that, that like dancing blue mondays or something yeah blue mondays you know enshrouded in in cough syrup for sure but yeah can, wh- why do you guys why is this guy not why doesn't this work for you guys it i think it's me- a good song i just think the what you want song number 10 the outro mm. is so good where it has that repeating kind of like loop like I think it should have just ended with that song, and this song sounds more like a single that's like tacked on. And I think it's the most '90s sounding. It's the yes, one yes, it's the most. But I don't yes. think it's a bad song. I just put it as a dud. Just you know, we got to have a whack. So. Yeah, I think for <laughs> me, I think for me, I very similar to what Noah's saying. I found it a little jarring. I probably hadn't listened to this album in a, you know a while, and and once you hear it, and then especially like kind of like the second part of it after kind of like that dancey intro, you're like, oh okay, this is more of the lovelessness of it all. But yeah, it's it's just I don't know, it sounds a little out of place. It sounds like just kind of tacked on, and like you were saying, like dancey. I'm not a big fan of like the you know the uh, like the British white boy kind of dancey Brit pop kind of stuff, and I think it's it's too much into that category and it, it kind of just like yeah i don't know it kind of uh triggers me in a way i'm like you think of kind of just like slightly vague vaguely cringy uh like you know Brit pop uh, i'm not a big fan of that stuff um and i might be misclassifying it left and right but um yeah it's just something about it it, it just doesn't need that dancey they don't need to hit the club or the like the reading festival or whatever i think they were fine when they were just hammering away the guitars on the on the last song so yeah i don't know i think it's a good song i think like the break in it after that it sounds great and it like almost redeems itself but then it kind of transitions back into like that bass heavy kind of main instrumental part that i just i don't know that i don't vibe with let's hear it yeah so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna play a little bit of the end of what you want because i i also like that looping little bit i think it should just ended on that and then we'll hear what you guys are talking about going into soon which it it was and a, a song they recorded before i think i mentioned that in the the background it was on a one of their the eps that got released before this so it, it, in a way it is tacked on but i don't know for me it's always been a nice capper of the record it and uh and i like that but uh here's a little bit of what you want going into soon I 
Sounds kind of like dinky, that guitar sound. Sounds like semi-charm kind of life or something. <laughs> it <laughs> reminds me <laughs> of... Um, <laughs> it reminds me of a little bit of Saint Etienne. I don't know if you guys like them at all, but it's oh, kind of yeah. got that vibe a little bit uh, for sure. Um, Maybe play some more of it, Adrian, because I don't think... Yeah. Intro gives it justice. No, here's here's a little bit from um from more in the middle, uh, which you can kind of hear the interplay of that kind of dancey background and the heavier guitars. jamming out they're having a good time yeah yeah let's see maybe it's that like real repetitive violin sounding sound in the back that yeah kind of gives the, it a dinkiness i guess that that was you know referencing i don't know i just think the guitar riff is like the weakest of the album oh interesting um let me see if i can find a little bit more of that heaviness hold on hmm, maybe not but anyways, I think you got a good feel for that, for what, what's going on there. Let's see. Oh, here here might be a nice transition between the uh, the where the heavy guitar comes in, actually, I think is right around here. Wait. Yeah. So for me, I always love the interplay of the bouncy kind of, I guess, janky drum machine, and then the kind of the glide guitar going over the top of that, and then it, the interplay between the guitar and the vocals. That that's always what's got me. Um, but yeah, I, no, you know, that dope. I, I totally hear what you guys are saying, you know. And I don't know if if this was released on its own as like a separate single, and then it was just the one through ten. I don't think it would be you know completely blasphemous to have that but uh to me i think that that soon really adds something just, to the end here i just see some like really pale english lad dancing in like a like a <laughs> mud pit just like waving his hands pretty you know arrhythmically <laughs> like high on some like really first gen ecstasy it's like uh i don't know that's kind of the vibe i get yeah it's like train spotting style you and McGregor dancing, <laughs> choose life. Our old buddy Renton. Yep. Um, Adrian, I have one more. If you indulge me, we might have to cut this out. We're probably running long, but the song we number are. nine, "Blown a Wish," the yes. three-minute mark. I love that part. It's yeah, why not? Very sultry. We're in too deep, anyways. It's very sultry. Here's "Blown a Wish." They're most like cocktail twins sound. Um, that was kind of on this re-listen, my 
song where I was like, oh, this is one of my favorite songs on the album. I kind of forgot about the, that song. Fuck yeah. Great, great track. All right. Great. Do we have any other duds at all? Yeah. Or? I'm not even going to ask you if you have any duds, Adrian. So I know how you feel about <laughs> all of this. Um, no, that's like the, and like I said, that's just the, it's a minor gripe that I have yeah. with it, uh, with this album. Yeah. Um, it's not really even a whack. It's just kind of maybe tacked on. Yeah. Maybe it's a miss, tack. It's a tack, snap. not a whack. Attack. Yeah. <laughs> it's also very long i think is another thing it's like almost seven is like seven yeah, minutes long it's weird that yeah. it's, like, it's like the 12 inch dj single or something yeah yeah you know. so that kind of makes sense um but cool yeah yeah i think we covered most of that that was a yeah that was epic um yes at the end of the day we all love it so we should uh can you really put a number on love yes you can so let's give this a rating <laughs> Uh, 10. It's a 10. It's got to be a 10. Yeah, yeah, ditto. Let's give it a 10. I'll give it a 10. I'm going to speak for myself. It's a 10. It's a fucking It's a 10 iconic. for me, too. I, I, you can't, this, it's iconic. It's highly influential. It's a very unique piece of art. It's specifically like their ma- magnum opus. It is the epitome of a sound, the epitome of their sound. Like, there's no way it's not le- anything less than a 10. You know, it's just it as as the as the excerpt said, like it's it's rare that you come across a record that's this close to perfection. And I think this for me, this is the perfect record. So, yeah. So there you go. You know, Adrian, I was going to say this earlier, but it turns out when anyone asks them who your guys, we all know what Adrian's answer is now. There you go. Love Adrian's guys. Yep. All right. Let's add it all up. <laughs> Ten. Yeah, I wonder where this could be. We all got a ten. Tens across the board. Nice. nice. Jinx. Add this okay. to the canon with uh with uh Mad Villainy and uh Arular. It's perfect record. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Our own personal canon. Fuck you, pitchfork. Yeah. <laughs> well enjoy it while you can because we're about to shit all over some fucking music. Yeah. And I just want to say we're going before, back to the two thousands. You're lucky this album came out in nineteen. Before we close, Pitchfork did this little article reviewing their old reviews, and it's like, come on, guys, we're, that's what we're doing on this podcast. So at least make us hashtag the official podcast of Pitchfork. Yeah, please be I our think... partner. Be our partners on this. We'll give you, you know an opportunity. Send us some money, please. What? Why not? Why can't we just say that we're the official? We are the official podcast <laughs> of Pitchfork. Yeah. Hashtag. Let's Done. Get that hashtag out there. <laughs> please send us your uh, logo and all your assets so we can brand it accordingly. <laughs> <laughs> we have a in-house person for that sort of thing. Yeah, let's get this going. So, speaking of Pitchfork, not really. Uh, speaking of busting the Pitchforks out, would you rather listen to the 11 tracks of this album or listen to Grammy Award-winning 1999 hit Smooth by Carlos Santana featuring Rob Thomas of Matchbox 20? An equal uh, amount of times. I think both are a 10.0 experience. <laughs> I think so too. What the I drums wanna, on smooth kind of sound like this. What I want to do is really good shoegaze and experimental rock music like this sometimes sounds like there's two albums being played at once. You know, <laughs> what I want to do is I want to play, I want to loop smooth 
11 times and just play it below, slightly below <laughs> in the mix, the whole duration of Loveless. Adrian, cue that wall. up for us, please. <laughs> Do it for, for 48 minutes. Stick around for 48 minutes. We're going to listen. That, you have that tech, right? No, that tech's like gone. You can't play two things on top of each other anymore. Yeah, impossible. Just, it's impossible to do. You, I mean, you can't on a phone. Uh, <laughs> you you can on a computer, but no. What I was gonna allow you to. What I what I was gonna say about this is that I would love to just watch a video of Carlos Santana putting headphones on and listening to this record and just seeing what his face goes through, what he's how he's feeling about it. Because I think I think well, Carlos would really enjoy this one. Yeah, but, I mean the uh, man made albums with Alice Coltrane. He's no, yeah, he's no yeah. scaredy cat when it comes to fucking nah, does, crazy sounds. He knows what it takes. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to like drone, and he made shit. an album with John McLaughlin. You know, he, <laughs> right? Yeah, he gets fucking weird. Yeah, I think he'd like it. Well, there you go. Yeah. Now Kevin Shields, on the other hand, would listen to Smooth and be like, "This is disgusting." <laughs> i don't know i think he would appreciate the production at least but doesn't kevin shields kind of strike you as a prince type where he's like yeah. he only listens to his own music a little yeah. bit i don't know <laughs> i could be projecting it's but... like Joni mitchell and his own music that's it yeah <laughs> uh, i don't know i mean as you mentioned caleb he does let he did shout out you know the bomb squad and another stuff i think oh, he has eclectic yeah. taste i mean these days he's i mean i know hip- he produces a bunch of stuff but yeah he he is probably just a hip hop head. That yeah. makes sense. I think I'm sure he is. End up, yeah, but he digs it. I mean, well, he's I also you know in Primal Scream and a bunch of these other seminal bands too. So for sure, yeah, or, or, or recorded with them. Yeah, he recorded cool. with Jay Mascus, and then uh, yeah, it's gonna be in a documentary with Jay Mascus about guitar pedals. That sounds not unbearable. Oh, uh, I saw I the know. trailer. Oh, I watched it, it actually. Oh, uh, uh, good. Did you it's... give money to their Indiegogo campaign? Uh no, but I bought. I asked it. for my money back after it. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, I didn't see it. Was, it. It was only ten bucks, but yeah, it, it was good. It's interesting, and uh, if you're into pedals at all, it it gives you a nice uh, kind of overview of it. And and they definitely these guys have definitely they get into gas pedals at all. <laughs> pedals on a flower, two T's. Zuzu's pedals. pedals. Um, they don't get into that. But they do talk about how Kevin Shields was very influential and Jay Mascus and in, in bringing back kind of the guitar to indie rock and to rock and roll and and bringing pedals back into the floor. What was you know? Shields like pedal du jour? Uh, every pedal, <laughs> literally. Yeah. Like that dude okay. has like four boards that are just filled to the max. But I think he's mostly known for using um, a Marshall Shredmaster, which is a heavy distortion pedal based on a Marshall stack. Big and Muff. Big Muff, yes, a, a variety of fuzz pedals. And That's then the aforementioned uh, Reverse Reverb, which I think he used an Alesis. Uh, what about the Wawa pedal that has like the foot shape on it? You know what? I think he does own one of those. I still, I still <laughs> ride for one of those. <laughs> Let's get he has, he has the goofy one though not the uh, not the right yeah. he's goofy style left, oh left right <laughs> yeah i once saw this band and i played with a band in eugene oregon once um they're called specks of golden light so you can only imagine good. um yeah. they the dude busted out two fully set up pedal boards like i don't know like probably four feet like two by four you know or something yeah. like that it what he played each pedal once and he did not need to pay any of them 
it was kind of that whole side of how pedals are dope kind of gone the wrong way. He's he's overcompensating guy. All right. <laughs> what do you let us stay in his next. house? Fucking asshole. What's up next? Whatever happened to this band? I, they came out with an album a few years ago, right? They still tour. They're still around. Oh. They're still making. They're kicking around. There's... Yeah. So they were pretty much after Loveless. <clears throat> I think they struggled a lot. Kevin Shields struggled a lot to follow up. Uh, you know, they recorded sporadically, but eventually I think they disbanded sometime around like the late 90s, maybe 97 or so. Um, the, the various members moved on to to work with other bands. As I mentioned, Kevin Shields worked with Primal Scream, a bunch of other bands. Debbie Goog was a bassist for for another indie rock band. I can't remember, but they, they all kind of did their own thing before um, regrouping in the late 2000s which was quite a shock. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I I never expected them to ever get back together. Uh, I think that was the allure of the band. It's like, oh, this band, I didn't even know they made isn't anything or any of that other music. I thought they were just like a one and done band. And that's what kind of gave them their mystique and their place in the, you know, the culture. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. I saw them live a couple of times. One once was with Adrian. Yeah. Um, and that was incredible. And you made me take out my earplugs halfway through. <laughs> Dude, it is fucking. Which is, uh, we cannot recommend that. No, it's no. dangerous. It's dangerous. Also, um, don't go and see them live if you have any type of heart condition because it like fucks with your heartbeat. <laughs> like it's, so, very, yeah. it's very intense, the vibrations. At, well, there is one shows. specific track, the aforementioned You Made Me Realize, where they do the the kind of jet engine wall of noise and that yes that does some things to you physical to your physiology that is just incredible your innards vibrate like your heart beats weirdly uh you know your brain starts to jiggle inside your skull and then right when you're like oh how much longer can i take this they fucking right back into the song right back into it and it's like a fucking magic trick like it's incredible Did you ever hear about back in the day, Throbbing Gristle would try to have shit shows where <laughs> they would they would try to be so loud that they would disrupt your your intestinal system yeah, or whatever? It's, it's definitely like that. It's yeah. up there with like Sun. Yeah. Live, oh, yeah. Like metal bands. Swans live. is super loud like that. Yeah, it's intense, but it's worth it. Go see him. Debbie Goog's band is called Snow Pony. There you go. Just yeah, and I believe, speaking of supergroups, I believe Snow Pony was a supergroup involving other yeah. luminaries. Of yeah, it's uh, uh, her girlfriend at the time from Stereo Lab. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, yeah. Nice. Nice. So that's a, that sounds cool. It sounds like a cool couple. It sounds like a cool hang. I did, um, but- uh, j- just a quick aside, I did when I, I saw these guys, My Bloody Valentine, at Coachella, actually. Hmm. They were playing... It was them, and then. Were the you kid. wearing a really offensive Native American headdress? Yeah, I was had glow sticks. Oh up man, my you ass. better hope that <laughs> never surfaces. But they were playing. They played, and then the Cure played right after. Oh, so it was nice. pretty cool. One, two punch. But yeah. some jackass in the crowd during like a downtime, they were like swapping their guitars. Swapping he was like, pedals. "Play." <laughs> this dude was like, "Play only shallow." And everybody was like, they're gonna play that song. Yeah, like, that's the fuck. <laughs> so weird. Yeah, so weird. That'd be better if he's like, play something off of Ecstasy and Wine. People would be like, no, no, just let him fucking play Loveless. Like, that's what we're all here for. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, cool. Let's move on. Let's move on. 
yeah, Noah, this falls to you, Game Master. All right, since we're running late, I just have a quick rankum game where I took the list uh, from Pitchfork's Best of 1990. Whoa. Tell me, what, what did they rank higher? And oh, the not, 90s. Of the, the 90s. Yeah, okay. of the 90s. Top not 1990. Of, top 50 of 1990s. What did they rank higher? And um, I'm just going to give you a couple here that I think are kind of egregious. So we got Ray Kwan's. Oh, yeah. Hip hop does not fare well on this, I suppose. But there's a bunch on that 90s list. But we yeah. got Ray Kwan's Only Built for Cuban Links featuring Ghostface Killer. And Siamese Dream by our old pals, Smashing Pumpkins. What do you think ranked higher? Siamese oh. Dream by our old pals, Smashing Pumpkins, or Ray Kwan's Only Built for Cuban Links featuring Ghostface Killer. I think they I think they called this one right. I think they I think Cuban Links was higher than than pump the pumpkins, but I could be wrong on that. Um I want to say that's true, but then I've also you know been alive for 32 years or 34 years, so there's literally no justice in the world. Um so <laughs> they probably put Siamese Dream above it. This is below it, I guess. Whatever high, rank them higher. This is bullshit. Raekwon is 99 on a what? list of, a, of the one fuck? on a list of 100 you know um, what pitchfork we don't want anything to do with you fuck and you. siamese dream is in the top 20 number 18 wow wow disgusting i will flip that for sure flip that real fucking brave <laughs> okay here we go here's another one real quick we got 36 chambers by wu-tang enter the 36 chamber enter the wu-tang 36 chambers and we got 69 love songs by Dude. Magnetic Fields. What do you think ranked higher? I feel like these are both top 10 or at least top 20. I know that 69 love songs is top 10. No. Or at least grazing it, maybe? I don't know. I So higher. I think 99 love songs, they probably ranked it higher. But Yeah, they ranked it higher. Or 69, sorry, 69 love songs. They probably ranked it higher than number 69, too. Um, yeah, I'm going to say they ranked it higher. Okay, so they got 36 chambers is number 36, which is like, did they That's... do that just to be clever? How the fuck is that not in the top 10 of the How's that not number yeah. one? How's that, that literally be, not that's number easily one? Top five. <laughs> top yeah. five. I mean, that's top insane. five. If, if you're trying to be loveless, okay, computer, and then like really, yeah. and then yeah. sixty nine love songs is a perfect thirty seven. That's exactly where that album. Oh, should be. It's, it's so they album. did it. Yeah. yeah, great record, but yeah, okay, that's that's okay. That's fine. And then I got one more for you, Jeff Buckley's Grace, hmm. and Doctor Octagon. Uh, Dr. Octagonicologist. Wow, that's it's, funny because I just re recently listened to both these records. Oh, nice. nice. Back to back. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it was interesting. I haven't listened to Grace in a while. I bet it still holds up. Yeah, it does. It's, it's great, yeah. Good college I rock. I think that Grace was higher. Again, I feel like Grace was... God, I keep thinking these are in the top 10, but maybe not. I think Grace <laughs> is like top 20, though. Yeah. And I think the other one is probably like in the 30s or 40s. But Caleb? I would say Dr. G I almost a little too weird, but so fucking good. And just yeah, like great. a landmark album production wise and everything. And just like 
how he used to just like a hotshot producer or whatnot. Um, and then I feel like Grace is good, but I feel like it's, I don't know, a little different than what they usually go for. And there's definitely some, some dross on that. Yeah. So I'm going to say they probably rate Dr. Octagon higher. So they rated Jeff Buckley higher, but they should have flipped them because so Jeff Buckley's Grace is 69. And Doctor Octagon is seventy one. It's like, come on, it's right there. Just just, give Doctor Octagon the sixty nine. Yeah. yeah, what are you it's doing? So obvious. <laughs> what the fuck you, you did the thirty six with thirty six. Yeah, you guys oh. trying to be clever. Yeah, but anyway, that was just a quick game because we're running long. Um, I'll just a quick shout out: Cocteau Twins, um, Heaven in Las Vegas. That's number ninety. We talked about that earlier. You got like. Weezer Blue Album is 26. Uh, oh, yeah. Nice. Maybe we'll revisit this list. Yeah. So the 90s, you know, some good, they had some good stuff in the 90s. Yeah, but Raekwon, Only 90, 90 kids will remember. Raekwon 99 is a sin. 36 Chambers, number 36 is a fucking sin. Siamese Dream shouldn't even, shouldn't even be on there, I don't think. Um, <laughs> Outcast Equemini is 50. That's very low. Wow. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Jawbox is 70. Nobody cares. Uh, <laughs> That's, far side, I like that record. The Far Side is number 80. I was glad to see them on there. But bizarre ride to the Far Side. Anyway, nice. that's the a lot game. Of bangers. A lot of bangers on that's there. The maybe we'll maybe we'll revisit them. Yeah, we uh, yeah, um, we're gonna do classics every yeah, we're gonna do 15, classics every, every 15 or so. And uh, you know, we left you guys with a long episode. Reason being, we'll be off in the next couple of weeks. I need to uh, build out the, my new home studio, so that shit takes time. Uh, but when we do return in a couple of weeks, uh, or in sometime in June, we will be uh, making our way back to the Great White North. But this time, we'll be on the West Side, Best Side, and we're going to be covering Twin Cinema by Indie Pop SG. Super group. We call them SGs, uh, the new pornographers, <laughs> new pornographers, twin cinema. So that's coming in June. Um, yeah, just nice. going back to our closely curated list. Uh, we have a lot of great classic albums and not so much classic albums to cover and get back. That's to a our... good summary record. So I'm excited. It yeah. is a nice summary record as such as it is in Canada. But yes. Yeah. And thank you, as always, to and Kiki Pettiford, yeah. Ontivero <laughs> for our yeah Tacoma, Washington. Uh, thank you to Kiki his wife for our uh the theme song as always it's great and thank you to adrian for all your stellar production especially on this one just putting all those bangers in the mix doing all the topping around that's great thank you to noah for the game and moving everything forward and uh, make sure and most of all thank you to our listeners thank you for listening i know you guys are uh spread wide across the world we really appreciate the global listenings um so you know holler at us Send like us an email. Subscribe. Hashtag official podcast of Pitchfork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, find us. Don't worry. Pitchfork knows about it. Don't don't tell them or you don't have to tag them or anything. You can just tag us. That's at Wacker Slaps on all the socials. Wacker Slaps at gmail.com. And we can have a nice discourse. Yeah. Seek us out. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you in June. And for Noah and Adrian, I am Caleb, and this has been Wacker Slaps. And as always, we ask, what made Milwaukee famous? Hit the music. Outro. Bye. <laughs>